OTB AM. With Gillette, get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. All right, it's half past seven. It's Tuesday morning after the bank holiday weekend. You're very welcome along. We are bright eyed and bushy tailed. Isn't that right, Owen? Oh, very bright eyed and very bushy tailed. Uh, where do you start after a weekend like that? I don't know. I, I like. I mean, it's it's almost as if like Manchester United came along last night and was like, "No, you have to talk about us." No, we're, we don't. One, though it turns on, out on uh, on chronological terms. I mean, you've had a great weekend of sport. Talk about us. Well, actually, you know, funny enough, Ronnie O'Sullivan was also uh, pretty capable of taking the spotlight and putting it on himself last night. But do you know what? I, actually, you're right. We should start Man United because they're not for the first time, as far as I can remember, they're not in the performance rankings, which we're about to get into. So I'll give you 10 seconds to speak about Manchester United if you want. Like, I mean, uh, I, well, should we do like a Ralph Ranić quote where he gave out the uh, exact possession stats and he had them at the tip of his tongue when he was interviewed afterwards? That's that's his like USP, isn't it? Impressing people with, you know, he had 73% possession in the first half and a 65% possession overall. Okay, or we could do the, the best one of all, which is Manchester United, who cares? Which is kind of where they're at for the last few weeks of the season where nothing important is happening. Apparently, I didn't see it, but Roy Keane went off on a rant. It's on the back page of one of the English papers this morning where it's like, I'm like, really? This feels like he's playing the hits from the whole season here. And he's like rolling it out for one last time. Just getting it ready. You know, it's like a, a tune-up. Uh, it's like one of those challenge matches that we never hear about between two Division One football teams from different provinces who are like, we'll see you. We'll see you out there later on in the season but his heart wasn't in it I don't know because I didn't see any any actual clips on social media which suggests that it was like everybody has that fatigue set in it's just like a, a sort of limp conclusion isn't it yeah, the, the, there's no point to it anymore is there he's not, he's not really building up for anything maybe if there was like a token FA Cup final in there exactly or a race for the top four but it's just he did he did say sullen. picking one matter that's sentimental and I was like yeah, I mean, in fairness is a good point like why is one matter playing games well I mean it was a sentimental decision that uh, essentially produced one of their best performances of the season so. maybe matter should have played every game this season maybe that was the like every manager there wanted to play matter but just didn't have the balls to do it and Ranick finally is like picking the team yeah, I'm going to pay him, put him in. What do I got to lose this stage? Juan Mata, James Milner, it was a hell of a day, a hell of a weekend for 2013. Uh, it's 7.33 this morning. We're going to fix this because it is time for this week's edition of the Gillette Performance Labs. You know, that wasn't an All-Ireland winning performance. Probably should have won the game based on their second half performance. Is it a step too far to say it was the performance so far of the World Cup? Maybe not. OTBAN's performance rankings with Gillette. I'm, I'm, I'm scratching my head. That performance is was just... Lack that intensity. Uh, OTB AM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. The uh, Gillette Performance Labs are a different thing which have yet to be invented. But we've, we've done our best this morning to invent a new thing for you. So welcome. I think you use like every constellation of words involved in that sentence to deliver something different. Like um, at least it's not the Gillette Power Rankings this morning for once. It is the Performance Rankings. We did this every Monday morning, even though today's a Tuesday because it was a bank holiday. Uh, <laughs> uh, we're, we're still on bank holiday where you, we go through uh, the red, the amber, and the green from uh, the weekend sport. Uh, we usually start in the red, which is exactly what we're going to do this morning. And Kildare Yeres, it says there, is in the red. You are essentially in the red this morning, and it's high time. Feels comfortable, co- feels pretty good, Owen. Somebody called you out on this. You've had Mick O'Dwyer in your county, you've had Jack O'Connor in your county, and you have learned nothing. You decided last week was going to be the week that you played the error card. You can only play the error card 
once in a season. That really? is the rule. That can is the only, rule. Is no, it? nobody trusts you. Nobody trusts you. You can do it once a year and people like, it goes 11 months and people forget that you're up to something. But you can only do it once a year. And you used it on Louth. Uh, granted, they'd scored five goals the previous week, and I do believe that there was some genuine nervousness in, in your voice last week. But by and large, you were trying to cut us, and uh, you sold us a pup. And anybody who thought that this was going to be a contest wasn't going to be a contest. And I ask you, who is the real powerhouse in Leinster? Which is the better result? A 16-point win against Division Three champions, or a 23-point win against a team who couldn't get out of Division Four? It was pretty impressive. You have to say, there was... Uh, two things in this right first one is history matters right when you're watching Mayo kick wides you just believe that it's because that's what that's who Mayo are when you're watching Kilkenny come back from the dead it's because you believe that's what Kilkenny are for Kildare being super hyped and very confident and running into the buzzsaw of Laos in the championship it, history mattered that's why so all this this wasn't Yera this was just a, a deep understanding of our our place in football history and that is to get very, very excited to lose the run of ourselves a la Mayo. I mean, people forget that Kildare in the 90s were the original Mayo. I just want to say that like, we, we had that whole uh, most hyped, most patronised role in football with maybe a little bit that uh, poor Mayo had um, because of the brawl in the middle of it. But we started the decade and finished the decade in the 90s and then they took over. Like, essentially, people kind of forgot about us until McGinney arrived. And then when McGinney arrived, we were on TV every single game. Every single game they played, particularly every first round exit from the Leinster Championship. So things have changed. That's all. I feel pretty good about the fact that things have changed. That first 10, 15 minutes where we kicked like 10 points, 10 beautiful points. Muscular running, uh, brilliant support lines, confidence. No real bad wides, touch wood. It was pretty impressive stuff. You've got to be excited. Like absolutely, I only saw the highlights and didn't see the full thing. But looking forward to seeing them play in Croke Park in those wide open spaces that this team could actually potentially love. White boots. In a few weeks Get everybody white boots. Is Go that been wearing white boots at the moment? There was a couple of there was a couple of white boots. Feely had white boots as well. Like, right. Yeah, yeah. Give us the white boots. Feely taking the penalty like a, a proper soccer player. Yeah. Not even a, not in doubt. Flynn looks amazing at the moment. He looks like an a. Like I know 2018, he gets his all-star, doesn't he? And, and like it's very, very hard to get back to that level again And uh, in terms of what you're expecting. But it just feels like some of the younger forwards playing alongside him have kind of inspired this guy into a whole other level. I think the same, like, there's a bit of a mirror image there with Dublin, I think, when you look at their forward line and you insert Conor Callaghan back into that forward line, everybody sort of, kind of perks up a little bit and is like, OK, this is, this is first of all going to allow me a little bit more space and a little bit less attention from the opposition defence. And also, I think, the sort of looking around at the players beside you and saying, right, I'm no longer carrying this team, which might have been maybe Daniel Flynn's perspective for a while. There are players here who have a ceiling similar to mine, like obviously Highlands, Kerwin, uh, like Paddy Woodgate come off the bench. I think he's been really good during the league. And he's looking around at, at that inside forward line and saying, uh, this is actually something that I want to be a part of. And I think that we can actually take down a big fish this year. It, I don't think it's going to be Dublin. I think Dublin, looks like we're being genuine here, I think looked outstanding on, on uh, Saturday and conceding four points over the course of 75 minutes or whatever it was, it, regardless of who you are, I think that for me just here marks them as almost automatic Leinster champions. But it's still a game I want to watch. I still want to see yeah. who they're against Dublin in the Leinster final and I know it, we're not, we still have to go through the semi-finals before we get there. But I think the performances we saw at the weekend, I would be surprised if that's not the final. Um, yeah, look, uh, Kildare will be favourites, strong favourites against Westmeath. Westmead will cause them difficulties, have caused them a lot of difficulties, should have beaten them in the championship. 
Um, was it last year? That was last year. Have I forgotten about? Uh, did I miss a year with COVID? It was last year. Um, so like really should have beaten them in the championship last year. So it won't be as easy as the game against Laos turned out to be. But uh, they look confident and they look like they've really benefited from the change in style, the change in ambition that the current management group have obviously instilled in them and a unity and a sense of purpose. So I think that they could cause some um, some very good teams a lot of hassle this year. Uh, it is a, a Tuesday morning. We tend to update the football power rankings on a Tuesday morning. We're not doing that. Uh, Where would they be now? Front uh, page? Kildare. Well, front page news? Actually, I actually don't know. Kildare. Where would they be? Possibly front page news. You can't... You can, I mean, I don't know. Maybe the Division 3 champions, you've got to give them... The form line is pretty good for Louth. Yeah. Well, I, th- so. I, I do think the story of the weekend, though, with power rankings-wise, would be Dublin in at number two, right? I think it's very hard to... Well, I think the story of the weekend is going to be Derry on the front page, right? Derry on the front page and Tyrone being moved... Uh, off the front page? Not off the front page. They could be. Not off the front page. I think, I think look, I, I was slow to this. Very slow. I, th- I thought that Toronto were going to be okay, but we weren't slow to Derry. We've been tipping Derry at 50 to 1, saying that's a great bet all year. That's good value. There's no value to be had in this, except that might be good value. They could go on a run. And here they are. They're on the run with uh, Monaghan, who were handy also kicking 22 points or whatever it was they kicked at the weekend to come the next round. So... Yeah, Monaghan also a, a team, it looks like, that are just benefiting from a bit more of uh, unpredictability in attack, where Conor McManus can still do Conor McManus things. But it's also like, oh, who's this big hulking full forward, Gary Mohan, that they have that uh, is causing us to think a little bit more about uh, more than just w- one player. And obviously Jack McCarran, if he can put together like a good championship, then the Monaghan are going to be a contender in an All-Ireland sense. And uh, I think we, we all know that in, in Ulster, they're, they're always a contender. Like, from Tyrone's perspective, like we can, we can't say last week that we called this like Tommy Rudy called it on Friday in the quick picks. One of his arguments was that Shane McGuigan was missing for like the latter stages of the league, which I thought was a tangible piece of evidence. But for me, there wasn't enough other tangible pieces of evidence to suggest that this result was actually going to happen. Because yes, we had the Tyrone departures, and that of course is going to have an impact. Given we saw what happened to maybe Dublin last year when their depth uh, dwindled a little bit, but I just hadn't seen any evidence of that in the scoreboard. And to be honest with you, in some of the performances. We actually hadn't seen it. Like their last performance of the league was uh, winning Killarney. Look, they were a bit patchy against Fermanagh, but it was not a bad performance for, in an overall sense, for their first performance of the league. I, I, I did not see this coming from Tyrone. Uh, Derry obviously sparked into life, and they were a team that we were talking about quite a lot during the league. But I didn't think that there was a, enough of a Derry uptick and enough of uh, a Tyrone decline for this result to happen. Let alone for it to happen in the manner in which it did, where they were completely dismantled. Like Toronto, the other team in uh, the red, by the way, this morning, which kind of like moves us nicely onto that. And for me, the most encouraging thing for a Toronto supporter this week is that they were completely awful. They were like, like a, an absolute shambles at times, like kicking balls out over the sideline, kicking balls out over the end line, fisted efforts for points that barely make it into the goalkeeper's ah. hands, like it almost bounces in front of the goalkeeper. Brian Kennedy just deciding to, to kick out. Conor McKenna throwing a ball at a fella. Like, it's, it's all, like, I mean, it, uh, past evidence would almost suggest that this is all just part of the Tyrone plan. And when you see Fergal Logan coming out after the match being like, oh, we're really, really disappointed with that, you know, <laughs> a lot of soul searching to be done. You're like, I don't trust you. I do not trust you one bit, Tyrone, for this to be the real Tyrone, except for the fact that there are all these departures that were people saying, listen, this thing could fall to pieces eventually. That maybe this thing is real, but again, Moisey's been talking about it. Not, maybe. It doesn't look good. We, and he's going to join us in about an hour's time, so we talked to him then. But it didn't look good. It they did look like they look like a rabble. 
they did not look like the All Ireland champions who, you know, we've been through this together. We understand. We we had the humiliation in Killarney last year. We had the COVID coming together. We had the kumbaya moment where we all got together and decided that we could do this thing. And then, you know, they see off, they see off that great young Kerry team. As lucky and all as that was, the the um, sun today. They do a debate every week. Uh, uh, one one person argues yes, one person argue, argues no. The question this week was, was Tyrone's All-Ireland win a fluke? And there's a strong case being made by somebody in the sun this morning. Yes, this was a fluky win. And you're like, I mean, Jesus, they're not doing... Because I remember after the game last year, somebody said to me, uh, this Tyrone team aren't great, are they? This is a pretty handy All-Ireland for a team to win. I was like, no, no, no. Look at the team. Damn, it feels really good. Those fourth there. I mean, look at the strength of depth they had. McShane couldn't even get in the team. And then you're like, you're looking at that performance going, what the hell happened last year? How did, how did that team beat your carry for a start and then, like, <coughs> casually dismiss Mayo in the All-Ireland final? How did it happen? It's a, well, I, I do think that they were the best team in Ireland for those last few weeks of the, the season. Like they were better than Kerry on the day, and they were, were they? better than Mayo. Were they? The <coughs> were they better than Kerry on the day? They won the game. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Was it a fluke that they won the All Ireland last year? Well, I, I think that I mean, at, at the very least they uh, performed at a level above themselves uh, that no other team in that last four managed to do last year. Like, is, is it a fluke that they managed to, to get through those games? Like, I, I accept, I think the one piece of fortune that really went with them last year was actually in the Donegal game where there was a missed penalty and Michael Murphy getting sent off. And we saw on sa- on Sunday, you know, the, the effect of a red card in a big Ulster Championship game. I think that was maybe the one piece of fortune that they had. Clifford. But like still, maybe. Clifford getting injured. Yeah. The, the, like, Kerry, there was no Kerry touching the, the ball on the ground. When the, like, when it was easier to just kick the ball into the back of the net. Square ball, yeah. Yeah, it was, was there an off to the ground. I've, I've never watched that game back and I never will watch that game back. But that Tyrone performance, like... Uh, Kevin I, I, Coughlin's making the case that it was, uh, it was a fluke. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure I'd go that far. I, I think there was... I don't think they were the best... No Killian O'Connor from Mayo in the final to take that penalty. But I think that as a collective and as, uh, as a unit... I think that they were the best team in the competition last year. And given the structure of the competition with no backdoor and a, f- a relatively compressed calendar, I think that there was a, a potential for a team like that to go on a bit of a run and, and overachieve to a, to a certain point. But like they got the very, very best out of themselves last year as opposed to getting fluky, I would have thought. Yeah, maybe. And maybe it's just hard to do that back-to-back. Like Tyrone have had problems in the past of going back-to-back and... Let's see how they do in the back. Like this, this the backdoor draw now is going to be pretty interesting. Yeah, I mean they Mayo get they, already in there. Well, they're going to get. We know they're going to get loud, right? Hot balls, hot balls, go go. Yeah, I like. I if Tyrone played Mayo in the morning, who who are you backing? I'm backing Mayo. Yeah, I'm backing everybody against Tyrone until they show me that they can come back from this. But what about the whole five week layoff? Is this not? I don't know about the whole five week layoff. Is that a good thing or a bad thing for a, a, a team in a bit of chaos like that? And what's the what two yellows, no suspension? No suspension, unless the uh, back-to-back reds. But this first one doesn't count anymore. To be fair, which it doesn't. Uh, like uh, well, Brian Kennedy. Like it, w- it would be um, whoever is that solicitor who man- who could get Brian Kennedy off this would should become like a super solicitor uh, if they, they manage to get him off, like a, a barrister. QC uh, maybe. QC. Sorry, that's the, the exact term. Um, like uh, that, that's obviously quite bad. They're not going to be able to get him off with McKenna, but presume it's the same as always. Two yellows, you're not getting suspended, so they'll be close enough to full strength, assuming they've got a clean bill of health. And 
they had a long layoff last year for different reasons. And a chip and, on their shoulder. And a chip on their shoulder. And that chip is, is getting bigger and bigger by the minute. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, conscious, granted I'm looking at the evidence in front of my eyes and saying I don't believe that. I'm like, uh, consciously discarding the, very, uh, the empirical evidence and saying that there could be a, a kick left in this team. But the thing is, if they get unlucky with a draw and a draw Mayo, as we just said, you're backing Mayo to win that game. Because Where will that game be? Would it, uh, is Croker the only fair place for that to be? Or is yeah. Clonus like... Yeah, it's got to be Croke Park, doesn't it? Or Unless you do Brefney Park or something like that. Maybe. But there maybe. would be like an Ulster sort of... There would be a notion that you know, it's, it's an Ulster ground. Yeah. They can't really, can they do the hide, given Mayo played a lot of home games there? No. I think, I think you have to... If it's Mayo at your own, I love how we're just inventing qualifier jaws here. No. Uh, you, you, have to, you have to put that game in Croke Park. Uh, there seems to be a bit of a bit of a commotion over the the Leinster semi-finals being in Croke Park. Uh, there was some talk that they weren't going to be earlier in the year, right? Yeah. And so it'd be Dublin, Meath, and Tullamore, or something like that, would it? I, I think so. Like I, I'm sure, I, like the as a Kildare person, you're like, put us in Croke Park. Yeah, well, Kildare West Meath can be in Croke, no problems. Yeah, it's just the, the Dublin home advantage. Like Dublin will be in Croke Park now for the rest of the year. Is is the other thing? Like I. <laughs> I'm still interested to see how they, like I, I was completely, not blown away, but on, on Saturday night I was like, right, okay, this is, this is absolutely sensational stuff from Dublin. Uh, you, like you do get bogged down a little bit in the comparing scores with one another a bit too much, but I do think the Kildare results did actually kind of temper my getting carried away with Dublin a little bit, because I'm like, another county in, in Leinster just did that to another team. Um, and on top of that then like, I think we made the argument during the league and this could be totally wrong Like we could be eating humble pie in a couple of weeks but it did feel that Croke Park was not exactly the best place for this Dublin team to exist in the league well, uh, given the, the wide open spaces but the, well, now you've got like a full stadium you've got a full hill well, and that's and the whole point of a home ground that will, that will benefit them but also they have a, a, a supposedly uh, we will now see um, maybe a, a better version of Johnny Cooper or, or a better position for Johnny Cooper and a, more of a defensive system which is just completely absent in the league and when you don't have that system in Croke Park you can get exposed as maybe we saw from Mayo in the league final and we've seen from other teams in the past well but also Dublin are a different team now right everybody's fit yeah yeah, like it was just defensively that, that you would have had those issues about, but conceding four points in a single game of football is an absolutely remarkable tally. And they look angry. It was, it was an FU performance yeah. from Dublin on Saturday night. Like, and Brian Fenton was pretty clear in that afterwards, saying that you know, there, there was a bit of a, a chip in the shoulder from, from this Dublin team. And if they manage to maintain that over the next little while, it's just going to be a fascinating season. It's very hard. Like, I, I know Kildare won't want to hear, but like, I, I just can't... I'd be very surprised if it's not Kerry Dublin in that semi-final um, on that side. And I, I do think it'll be closer than, than it was maybe two, three years ago in that Leinster final, if it is Dublin-Kildare. But I, I still, I'd still be backing them uh, pretty healthily. Yeah, you would back them to win the game, but like, it's going to be a game. We've been lying to ourselves that they're going to get games in Leinster... And then last year they kind of got a game, and if they would have got games if everybody had a bit of more self belief and confidence, because last year the team was definitely stuttering. This year it looks like Kildare could give them a game. Yeah, yeah, and the like, spread will be four and a half, I would say, at the moment. Uh, the thing with Kildare as well then is if they obviously get to that Leinster final, then they'll only have one round of qualifiers to go through to get to the to get to the quarterfinals, and like. That would be a good return for Kildare this year to be competitive in a in a quarter final because, like I mean, if they lose the Leinster final, then you're obviously up against one of the provincial winners. If you get through to the to the last eight, and it's going to be a, an uphill task. 
but um, the fact you, that they're, they're on the side a, of the draw and, and didn't get Dublin in the semi-final obviously gives them a much better chance. I'd, I'd give them a chance against any of the um, provincial champions, I'd say with the exception of Kerry at this stage. You'd, you'd say that they'd be underdogs, but you'd give them a chance against any of the teams in Ulster, the two remaining teams in Connacht. No? Yeah, like they're in those games. Yeah, no, they're, they're in the games. Donegal, you put them up against Monaghan, you put them up against Derry. Whoever wins Ulster at this stage, Monaghan, whatever. I, th- I at Croke Park, I'm like, yeah, bring it on. They're in the games. I think the team that they would want to get maybe is is Ross Common if they beat Galway in the the Connacht final. That was another. Oh wait, I'd like to see them. I think they could. That was another eye-catching uh, score for the weekend. Obviously, is uh, is the Ross Common tally. And like I mean, it's 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 one of the reasons why I guess the Talton Cup has been brought into play is these uh, fairly striking tallies that teams are putting up in the provincial championships, and it's like, what's the point of this? And I guess the one of the the themes that's emerged from the weekend is well, what's the point of the Talton Cup? Because a lot of people are now kind of hammering this, saying that people aren't going to hang around for this. One of the few dissenting voices that is to the dissenting voices is actually Tony McEntee who seemed pretty happy that the Talton Cup was going to happen uh, when, when he was talking after Sligo's defeat at the weekend and um, he seems pretty excited for it on the other side of things you have I think a, a good handful of people now who've spoken publicly saying this thing isn't going to be this thing is not going to live up to any sort of hype because there isn't going to be any hype for it Well let, let's wait and see I think that there are definitely counties who will take it more seriously than others and the counties who do take it seriously in the long run might be the ones who make a leap forward we'll see uh, Mark says in fairness Toronto beat four Division 1 teams to win last year's All-Ireland think calling it a fluke is a bit harsh in my opinion Shane says they had the toughest run in Ulster Cavan, Donegal and Monaghan and Shifty Lad wants to know should Cody be in the red well Cody is not in the red but um, uh, so people are texting us in by the way it's part of our competition OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day every week we're giving away a Gillette Labs shaving kit to be with the chance of winning just let us know who you think should make the performance rankings. The best place to enter is the off the ball Instagram page. You'll see the comments box in our story. But you can also, this morning live, enter by leaving a comment either on YouTube or using the hashtag OTBAM. Uh, Cody's not in the red. Cody's kind of maybe in the amber, is he on? Well, handshakes. Handshakes are in the amber today because all of the great handshakes of all time have been left in the wake of a handshake at the weekend while that handshake was really good. So I can't really decide whether to put this in the good or the bad, so it's in the amber. So uh, I'm sure people have been looking forward to this, but needless to say, I've put together my top seven favourite handshake moments in the history of society. We'll go through this list before we get into Brian Cody. At number seven is uh, the Chelsea mascot uh, with Steven Gerrard a few years ago, giving him uh, the, selling him a pup with the handshake. Uh, at number six is uh, the creation of Adam by Michelangelo, clear under extension, also uh, a snub of a handshake. Then our final snub, and at number five is John Terry Wayne Bridge, one of the best out-and-out handshake snubs of all time as we move into actual handshakes. In at number four is Truman Churchill Stalin at the Potsdam Conference, post-war peace, blah, blah, blah. But the main thing here is that it's a three-way handshake, which was a historical moment. Number three is Mick McCarthy, Roy Keane. There has never been post-war peace in Irish football after this moment, really. It was a precursor to one of the most dramatic moments in history. At number two is uh, the Predator handshake, the biggest handshake meme in modern history, Carl Weathers, Arnold Schwarzenegger doing their thing. And at number one is, of course, Brian Cody and Henry Shefflin. Ice cold, shivers down the spine of uh, Henry Shefflin, I thought, but actually Henry Shefflin gives him the old look back after Brian Cody walks away, and I think he handled it pretty well. What were you, what were you feeling? Were you feeling sad when you, when you saw this handshake? Um, I think it's very interesting. I think um, Cody said afterwards, no big deal, but like, 
it's not a big deal what's going on. Um, I think Henry Sheffern was like, well, I, you know, he had been through a lot of emotion in that previous 60 seconds. Like he spoke about thinking about everything that has happened um, to his family and uh, to the wider Galway GA community. And then they score free against his old county against the manager he won 10 All-Irelands for. And he's like, and it's quick. And then he turns away and then he's dragged back. And then there's a stare and there's something mouthed. Is there, is there something? Was there was there something said? There was. We don't know what it was? No. And it, uh, I presume it was loud enough to hear, but we'll never know unless there's, unless everybody's mic'd up. Uh, or release the footage. Like, we're, like I, I, want, I want to see, like, is, is the behind... Four different angles. Yeah. And we, we were only getting... A they s- kind of missed the goal in lifetime. Did you see that? We, they, they missed the they missed the winning the equalising goal for uh, Kilkenny just the angle was too close and then they pulled out and the ball was in the back of the net and the commentary was like saved and Dagan's gone no it's in the back of the net Marty <laughs> like uh, it's in the back of the net and they're like oh not saved the sides are level like oh Jesus uh, um, so it was wild it was it was the wildest end to a match that we're not we're not talking about like there've been wild ends to all of the Leinster championship matches. With Leinster's like definitely, hey, hey everybody, there's a championship over here. It's really good. I realise that you're looking at the Munster championship and thinking this is a different sport they're playing, but we're really good too. Every single game has ended in some weird thing, uh, and then the handshake, which is like, um, you know, people are, I think, not making too much of a big deal of it because, as Henry Shefflin points out, this is still sport. We love it, but it's just a game. Uh, there are far more important things in life. And yet, what was Cody at? What was he doing? What do we think? Did he just like maybe lose his train of thought? I was like, oh, sorry, just hung in there a little bit too long. But there's definitely and, a, and, like and a... There's a talk. It's, it's, aggr- like it, it's, it's semi-aggressive, I think. Again, I'd just like to see what the, the whole context was. I'd love to see the sideline right beforehand. Like, were they calling each other? Did, did somebody turn around, not go first? You know, there's a, a lot of things that which might seem like an imagined thing, and then afterwards you're in the dressing room, oh, so sorry, that's it's just a bit... I mean, I was trying to find the referee because I wanted to go and, you know, have a word with him about what had happened. Like, I, I did think it was a free in real time, by the way. Yeah, it, when it, you When it, you watch the slow down replay, like, it, it looks like a free if you're just turning around. So you're 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 following the ball, and then you see smack. It's like, did he did he go in through the back of him? Is that legal? I'm not sure. It looks like a free. I'm giving the free. Should have given the free. I think if that's a free at any other point in the game, it's not even a mini talking point. There's like maybe a, a wild, a, a very mild a free. murmur from uh, the crowd who's given against. It, like uh, somebody in the Sunday game said, it, it, it was man ball and all. If I'm not misquoting, like. That's a free. If, like, if, like, I know, um, like, I, 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 I just, I, I thought for sure I didn't want it to be. I didn't want it to be a free. I wanted, it, I wanted the ref to be like, ah, just blow the full time whistle as a man just gets taken out in, in the middle of the air because I wanted the late goal to mean something. But unfortunately, that wasn't the case, and the ref made the correct decision at the end. And then what a nice call free! Like, what a nice call! Not close. Not like just sneaking in. Yeah, for a modern hurler, it probably it's not a gimme, but it's. Uh, with that pressure, of course, it's not. But it, it should be something that he's he's scoring. Like Kilkenny have notched up a couple of really dramatic late goals that are now going to be lost 
in time. Nobody will ever remember. Maybe they'll remember the, the Cork one last year, but it feels like it's in the space of you know three, four championship games. They've put together some incredible late salvos, like Cork in the semi-final last year, and then uh, Sunday against Galway, and they lose both games in the end. So there's de definitely a huge kick in this Kilkenny team. It's just today, should they maybe have a bit more quality to be get their noses in front earlier in games? Like it's really, I'd love to see this this matchup again. I'd love to see Cody against Sheffield again for obvious reasons. Like I might, to be honest with you, like my initial thought on the handshake was no big deal. It's in slow motion. Uh, if you played that in real time, it wouldn't be so dramatic. And then there was like a longer clip that came out, and I was like, oh, hold on a minute, this actually is. Yeah, and it actually is kind of something. So I don't know. Like I, what, what my, if there I can, must be, there must be fan footage somewhere. Can I speculate wildly here? What I, what I think might have just happened was. Two managers are on the sideline. That late free was pretty controversial. One of the managers might have been like, absolute free. The other one would have been like, absolutely not a free. Yeah. There's a little bit of a disagreement there with expletives thrown in. And then you have to shake each other's hands literally seconds after that. Yeah. And that, uh, you know, that, that is why there was a little bit of tension. Of course, it's the most important handshake in the history of society. But maybe not. Yeah. Either that or the beef is real. That's the other alternative here, is that actually, you yes, know... Yes, no, let's go with beef is real. Uh, I mean, there's that, a, there the is, there is an alternative point. reality where there's like, uh, these two men drove this thing on. This is Keane and Ferguson. We don't know. Like, this could be Keane and Ferguson. But like... Without, without the falling out. Yeah, uh, and also, like, where would, where would the falling out have been? Like, they were on each other's side for the entire thing. Uh, everything we've heard from people within the Kilkenny team would say that Sheffield was one of Cody's favourite people. Well, I mean, Tommy, Tommy Walsh is number one, yeah. but uh, Henry Shefflin was, was a close second. <laughs> yeah, this all makes sense. Well, Tommy, Tommy didn't get picked at the end either, you know? Well, that's true, but I'd, I'd, I'd imagine they'd have a, have a pretty good relationship. So I, I, don't, I don't think that there is a, a deeper sort of thing there, and, uh, but it was, it was oh, just yeah. a great image. Uh, how is Cork hurling not in the red? The second biggest supported team in the country. You have no idea of the sense of anger from the Cork public down here at the moment. Uh, and Jared says, lads, I think Clare aren't getting the credit again for beating Cork once again. It's all about how bad Cork were. Well, it's worth talking about this now because there's a couple of other things that are just taking Clare's limelight in, in the green here. Um, obviously, this game, again, kind of lost in time because it wasn't live on terrestrial television on, on Sunday at the same time as the other hurling match. But uh, Clare were, were awesome again. And I think the scoreline put a bit of a gloss on it from Cork's perspective at the end. It seems like, like Cork just can't get their head around what's going on at the moment. That it, it feels like they maybe even have slipped a little bit backwards compared to last year. And you know this, this whole notion going into the All-Ireland last year that Cork were the pretenders to the throne and ready to take it. I think that, that notion's taken quite a hammering over the last little while. And there's going to be, I'm not sure I was going to say inquest, but like there will certainly be a lot of noise when they don't get out of this group because it will be a hell of a comeback now from this position for them to get out of this group. It's impossible. It's clo close to it, yeah. Um, very, very difficult for them at this point. It's like So, well, in fairness, they have already got the Limerick fixture out of the way. Clare obviously do have to play Limerick. So, uh, like I think Clare, for people who watch a lot of Clare, will not be the surprise package of the year. But for people who didn't see a lot of Clare in the spring, uh, I think this probably feels like a bit of a surprise. I wouldn't have had them getting out of... It's not impossible, obviously. It's not impossible. Uh, you know, it's still very possible. But, like, uh, can they dig themselves out of the hole they're in? I don't think so. That's what I think is impossible. Unless maybe you, like, read into the kick at the end of the game, which suggests that there's, there's still a, a lot of fight in the group, but... Yeah, um, fight in the group, but the game is over, you know? Yeah. Um, like a bit, uh, the game is over at half... Not at half time, because the 
gap at the end is the same as the halftime gap, but they, they just let the gap get too big in the first half. I know it's hurling, you can score three quick goals, but like you need three quick goals to get yourself back in the game. You've given yourselves an absolute mountain to climb. If you're Limerick, that's fair enough because you know you can do that. But you're not Limerick. You're Cork who have not won anything for decades now. So, I don't know. Bit of a disaster. We'll, we'll do a deep dive on that this week, I think. Yeah, we will. Uh, we will move on to the green. And in second place this week, we'll just quickly touch on Ronnie O'Sullivan, who won his seventh world title last night. Uh, we're talking about handshakes and uh, embraces his hug with Judd Trump. Lasted, I want to say, ninety seconds to two minutes. It was, sure. it was definitely. It, was like, it? it felt a little. It's like this is getting uncomfortable now. There's, uh, like, what is is he? Uh, was a cover from crying? Was it, I don't. I don't know. It was. It was nice, but it was definitely yeah. like we were watching. Gone. Uh, everybody has come down to join him. His kids are there. Various other uh, members of the extended entourage are there, and it's like, what's going on here? Yeah, Hazel Irvin is doing her bits and she's like da, 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 how long am I going to have to fill here for I'm going to speak to Judd Trump now any second now what, are, what emotional scenes we're seeing here Ronnie O'Sullivan's won his seventh and then she's like you know, as all commentators do when they're filling it's like I have some stats to hand more centuries in this tournament than we've ever seen before blah 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 what they're still going yeah, it was t- two lads having a DMC in the smoking area is what it felt like for a while. But obviously it was nice and heartwarming as opposed to, you know, um, disgusting, uh, to be honest. And I think he, there was like a sense of Ronnie just getting carried away with how emotional he felt. And it, pro- it possibly didn't really strike him how emotional he would feel at the end of this. And I'm kind of surprised at how sentimental Ronnie was at, at the end of it, which is obviously, again, absolutely brilliant to see. Because it kind of felt to me for a while in, in his career over the last maybe seven, eight years as, you know, he didn't really care about records or, or getting to seven or potentially getting to eight, which I think he, he will do at, at some point over the next couple of years. But I think maybe he was just using that as his public pronouncements in a way to try and lessen the pressure on himself and, you know, the idea of getting carried away at records is never going to lead to, to success. But I think now what's great is that you can quantify Ronnie O'Sullivan as the, the greatest in his sport. Like, it, it, it felt as well for a while as if it would be like a Tiger Woods situation where, you know, Tiger is obviously the best of all time, but he's not going to have the most majors at the end of his career. Kind of felt like Ronnie was going to be in a similar situation. Whereas I'm happy that that's not the case anymore. You can say he's got, uh, like, I mean, he's obviously tied at the top now at seven. He will go one clear. But um, but I think you can say, like, I mean, he, he is he is comfortably the greatest of all time. Um, and I, th- I think maybe, the, like, it, it just helps. It just helps when you're having that conversation. There's obviously murkier waters when it comes to, like, the, the tennis conversation, immense tennis at least, about who actually is the greatest of all time. Team sports is a little bit harder to quantify. But I think last night it was a bit of a sigh of relief for people who, have watched Ronnie for his entire career and know that he was always going to go down as, as the best ever. Yeah, I don't know about the Tiger Woods thing. We can come back to that. But you're dead right. Like, uh, I think everybody felt like Ronnie O'Sullivan was the most gifted of this or any other generation and wasn't going to quite reach the level that he could have reached. But he's got there now. And um, I don't know, maybe if Stephen, Stephen Hendry broke his cue, isn't that what happened to him? Um, there was like a magic power associated with his cue and it got broken and he was never the same player again. Yeah. Uh, so who knows? Like, in a in a um, on an airplane, wasn't it? Yeah, and the other thing is like uh, Hendry's Hendry's period, which was kind of boring at the time, but in retrospect was absolutely amazing. Where you are absolutely dominant the way you are for that period, and it's such a condensed period. Like there's something there is something truly great in that, and I think somebody matching that, like it took all this time for Ronnie Sullivan to match what Stephen Hendry did. It elevates Hendry's achievement. Like, I, and this is always my point with the. 
the Limerick Hurlers need someone to come along and be great at the same time as them for us to go. You are truly one of the all-time great teams. They're already one of the great teams, right? They're a great team. Nothing's ever going to take that away from them. But are they all-time great? We're not sure. They might be, and they're not finished yet. Uh, but there's no doubt Ronnie O'Sullivan, all-time great. Stephen Hendry also all-time great. Yeah, and uh, and the rival certainly kind of elevates um, ele- elevates anybody to that level. And I think Ronnie O'Sullivan probably, when he points to Judge Trump last night, is like, I've just beaten an incredible person in this final. Uh, like, top of our performance rankings this morning, absolutely no prizes for guessing this one. It is, of course, uh, Katie Taylor. And there's like a, a billion different things you can say about what happened on Saturday night. The thing that's kind of like striking me this morning is that Saturday night at Madison Square Garden kind of feels like uh, a Robbie Brady goal moment, which I didn't see in the flesh, or uh, an Italian 90 moment, which I just kind of wasn't alive for. And it kind of feels like right in that level, one of those that made you really, really want to, to be there or be around for that moment. One of those that if you were in the arena on Saturday night, uh, you'd be banging on about for a long, long time. And rightly so. Um, probably more closer to the point is the fact that it kind of feels like just another Katie Taylor moment. It kind of feels like 2012. It feels like the, the wave of emotion that everybody would have felt when she won a gold medal for Ireland in 2012. And that's just what she does now. She will go down in history as somebody who has a collection of truly historical Irish moments, not just sporting moments, Irish moments, which it's very, very hard to think if there's uh, anybody with a number of them on their CV, just like Katie Taylor does. Maybe you can say like someone like Jack Charlton will be associated with, with those sort of memories uh, over a period of time. But I think Katie Taylor is absolutely in that rarefied company. And again, like, I mean, you can talk about the fight. The fight was absolutely incredible. It was, it was a ridiculous, ridiculous spectacle. And I, I think there, there is this notion that, you know, you go through all the, the tweets and the reaction to it from people who you wouldn't have ordinarily thought of as, as Katie Taylor fans. And I, I think that probably adds to it a little bit. But... Yeah, just a, an incredible night. Very, very jealous of everybody who was there. There's two things, really, in terms of, like, you kind of want her to retire because she's reached the apex again and boxing is such a brutal sport and we're really beginning to learn about the difficulties that people have later in life when you have a number of concussions and each of those punches is a potential concussion. So, like, from a on a personal level for her, you really want her to stop now because there's no more mountains for her to climb. And at the same time, from a sporting perspective... If they were to fight again in Madison Square Garden and then she was to have a homecoming, that would be the type of like uh, financial security that very few Irish sports people get. So, you know, that there's that balance to be struck between uh, what kind of a middle age do fighters have versus the moment. This is the, this is the moment now where there's a crossover here where when you have Dwayne Rock and you're on zone and ESPN are covering it it's like a new level of uh, superstardom in the United States where they're talking about this is saving boxing so um, big opportunities for her and hopefully they're endorsement opportunities as opposed to fight opportunities that she can make the bank from that but um, yeah an incredible achievement really to, and the comeback victory as well is the other aspect of that that like you, you tough it out and you win through um, moments of real physical exhaustion is um is so incredible. So, do you think she was done? Uh, I mean, at various stages in the past, there have been bits in fights where you're like, "Ooh, I don't know," and then it's like always comes back, always comes back. So, um, this was a level above though anything that maybe totally, yeah. put her through. Like, yeah. I I was full sure she was finished. Like, absolutely 
I just thought it was like any punch now she she is going down and I think maybe when we kind of like have, have had analysts on over the last little while talking about Katie Taylor it's like does she have um, the power to, to knock an opponent out and I think maybe we probably underappreciated a little bit given maybe she's been so dominant in so fights the fact that she is so hard to knock out herself and uh, again it's just not something that we've seen her in a position to too much because she's she's clearly uh, the greatest so it's very very hard to, to, to find out when she's in that position but she was in that position on Saturday night and maybe she maybe she hadn't felt what maybe she didn't know herself how she would stand up to, to that sort of pressure until Saturday night like I'm, I'm I'm sure that most of her sparring partners weren't putting as much pressure on her as Amanda Serrano was on on Saturday night so yeah I thought I thought she was dust but that just adds to the whole craziness of the, of the night. The Star reporting this morning that the cops have said that um, if they want to fight in Croker they can fight in Croker the security threat uh, based on the uh, Kit, uh, Kutch Kinahan Hutch feud is over or diminished to the point where it wouldn't be an issue. You do that now, though. You, you're thinking another garden fight and then back well, to them. Yeah, yeah, because the the time is going it, it to be, be winter. It needs to be twelve o'clock at night for a U, uh, U.S. audience if you're going to do serious pay per view numbers. Um, why, like, why though? What, like, I mean, I mean, the Fury fight was on at what time the previous week? Um, was it, like, was that, it was at our time like yeah. and I mean Klitschko Joshua I remember was that, that feel our, like all the UK fights are, are at our time so why would an Irish fight have to go go later well I don't know I, I just I think that like the Fury fight Fury is more established selling pay-per-views um, maybe it wouldn't be pay-per-view would it in the States it would just be on uh, the it's subscription so I don't know I mean I, I, I think that like if they can well I, to be honest, I think that if she can get through one more fight uh, at this level and then come home and have a, a homecoming against somebody who's easy, like that would be the. the you want to sell tickets, though. I mean, if it's if it's Taylor Serrano, you have people who will want to fly to Dublin to watch that fight, not just Irish people. And I think that you've got to capitalize on what happened at the weekend by getting this thing turned around pretty soon. I think that, like, it's. I'm not sure. I, I, I think this was. A, a brilliant, brilliant sporting event and people want to see this again. And as I just said, we all missed out. We all have FOMO because we weren't in the garden. Uh, anybody who wasn't there will be like, okay, got to get a ticket for this. I, th- I, I just think marketing-wise, I think in terms of her career, I think it just makes sense to do this thing now. I hadn't realised that I actually hadn't seen that line about the, the, the security threat because I just assumed it was still maybe pie in the sky stuff to suggest that Ireland could host a boxing fight. Uh, I, don't, I don't think so. I think, I think most of that is over for now. 12 minutes past eight, that's this week's performance rankings. OTBAN's performance rankings with Gillette. Yeah, we're uh, going to take a quick break. We're going to be back talking football with David Myler next. I fear I'm going to spend the next 10 years talking about Declan Rice and wondering what might have been uh, from an Irish point of view yeah. because he's just so goddamn good. We saw in that first half. It feels as though he's everything right now. Like the yeah. pace that he had on two or three occasions to get back and cover his range of passing, which we saw for the first goal there's very little as a central midfielder he can't do right now yeah I think he has power I think his physical ability is there for all to see he's really matured he's, he looks like a <laughs> has a presence about him now that he's probably 6'1 6'2 but he looks it um, powerful but his, his awareness has improved a lot and his range of passing has improved a lot and you know what he punches passes through now 20 yard passes where he's taking it off the back four and he's punching it into those front three of West Ham that you're talking about it is like it's an absolute shame and I don't know how we're in a situation where you've played him in friendlies but we haven't been able to get minutes in it don't do it to yourself 
Don't, yeah, <laughs> and I because I think what what a player he would have been for Ireland, and what a player he, he's turning out to be for England. Um, but West Ham will do well to hold on to him, and, and like you said, that's the shows the importance of making sure that they qualify for these tournaments. But but he's by far better than the two centre midfielders that Arsenal have. Um, and, and is he is he a player you look at and think quite literally any team in the Premier League he would improve them in midfield? Yeah, like Rodri does his role for Man City. Rice could, I know Man City were interested in him a couple of years ago, and Rice could do that role, especially with Fabinho moving on in the. Or is it Fernandinho? Fernandinho, sorry, moving on in the summer. Well, has he got more than Rodri? Because now Rodri. I know Giles was critical well, of that. I was just yeah. going to say, he did score in the last couple of games. He's had five goals this season, but uh, what John Giles was saying is, does he ever set up a goal? Yeah. I was making the point, he's the guy who. Yeah, provides correct. the pass which was what Declan Rice did today he yeah. provided the pass for Southcheck. but does Rice have more to his game than a, a Rodri which is probably the position he'd go into if he went to Manchester City I don't know it's a tough one I, I, you'd like to see him in that, in that team with all that firepower around him and that ability around him that you know when he is giving it to De Bruyne or, or Sterling or, or even Grealish another one that we've, we've missed out on that you know they're, they're going to create at the top end of the pitch so like you said it's the pass before the assist um, much like Jack Grealish it could be a similar situation though going to Manchester City in that everything at West Ham today went through Rice. So every yeah. time Noble got the ball, the first thing he did was give it to Declan Rice. Whereas actually, you're the guy having to give it yeah. to De Bruyne, to Foden, rather than Bin. So you're a step further back in the process almost. Yeah, but I, I, I think you can tell that he's a team player and they'd be willing to do that. And they call it like carrying the water for them. No problem. I don't, I think he's able to do that, but you know, then he has the quality to step in and play as well. Like I think, like you said, there's not a team in the Premiership that he doesn't probably strengthen their squad first of all, and and does it, you go as far as saying he's strengthening the the first eleven. OTB AM. This is OTB Sports Radio. The greatest league in the world is back. Every Friday night after the League of Ireland games, a place for you to come. To give your opinion to Vane, there's a little button down on the left-hand corner where you can say that you want to talk. And Johnny, you're just going to have to mute yourself because you're ruining it for everybody. I can't. I'm still ruining it, am I? You are, yeah, yes. We're yes. going to talk about Waterford FC now. Let's okay. get the real first division now. For immediate reaction from around the grounds, catch League of Ireland late night. Friday nights at 10 on Twitter Spaces. Follow at Off The Ball. This is Sport Ireland Campus. And here is where it all starts. From the little ones learning to the high-performance athletes leading. Here we go to play, to practice, to progress. Here is where communities in the nation come together to compete, to win and to belong. Here we go to the next level, then on to the world stage. This is Sport Ireland Campus and here we go. Visit sportirelandcampus.ie to be a part of it. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. You'd, uh, Graham Gartland talking about Declan Rice into the ad break there. If you want to get in touch with us this morning, 0879-180-180 is the WhatsApp number, or you can always use the hashtag OTBAM now. Delighted to say David Myler is with us to look back at the weekend's football and ahead tonight as well. David, good morning to you. How are you getting on? Morning, gents. Um, <laughs> I think we should start with the relegation battle because what looked like it was going to be fairly pedestrian has exploded into life over the last few weeks. Burnley sacked Sean Dyche and we all thought, well, that's a panic move and uh, they've won their last three games and they've looked pretty good. Uh, it looked for a while like 
Everton were just going to go out with a whimper and all of a sudden there's life in the old dog yet. Leeds, who looked safe four or five weeks ago, are um, are crashing to earth really quickly. So um, there's a world now where it looks like both Burnley and Everton might survive. It does. Um, obviously, you know, Burnley winning and then Everton playing Chelsea. You kind of... I did watch Chelsea against United and I thought they'd lack that clinical edge and you saw Tuchel talking about it after saying, you know, they got into great areas, um, a decisive pass, whatever. And you kind of, it's been like, it's very difficult to criticise Chelsea because they won the Champions League last year, but you knew that they needed that number nine to, you know, put the ball in the back of the net. They signed Lukaku. That's been one of the worst signings in Premier League history. Um, And even when they went to, you know, Everton, of course, Everton now are going to get, you know, they they have to rally behind the, the group. Um, but Chelsea just kind of look flat. They're in no man's land. Kind of, they've kind of nailed down third. Yes, they've got you know the FA Cup final to play against Liverpool. But it was it was kind of one of those. Everton just had to take the fight to them. Um, you've seen with the scenes outside the ground, with the fans kind of making it this incredible atmosphere. Um, the whole stadium was bouncing, and you know the players responded to that. And you know, it was it was a hell of a performance. And you know their home form has been all right. Um, all season um, and that's what's you know inevitably going to keep them up if they are going to stay up they have to get points Goodison Park um, they've got some winnable games there and I think they've got Watford away as well um, so like Leeds now Leeds are under serious pressure um, you know Burnley like you said have won some games so it is it is, it is tightening up um, I know Everton have the game in hand if they could get three points in that it just you know Leeds Leeds are the one that's on you know the descend they're on the way down um, and they could get caught out it's almost impossible to stop one of those runs at this stage of a season when you're in it. Like, we've seen great escapes in the past. Yeah, Villa when they had Grealish, like, they went on a run like Burnley are on at the moment. And it's more easy to maintain one of those crazy runs than it is to actually arrest the pattern that Leeds are in at the moment. Is that fair? Um, yes, I know. Um, because there's a reason why you were on the bottom of you know, the table. Um, you've not been able to you know, win games. So, albeit Burnley have, you know, you'd say turned a corner with their, with you know, with the wins that they've had. Um, Everton obviously winning. Both teams are very capable of going out and not performing again. Of course, I know they're fighting for their lives. I've been in similar, similar situations where you do get a result and you kind of think, okay, we can we can reproduce this. But every game is slightly different. You know, whether it be the time of kickoff, traveling away, what ground you're playing at, etc. So, like, I don't, like, you look at, the best example is Everton. You know, you're looking kind of where has that performance been, you know, for a long time, um, you know, and don't get me wrong, I know Frank has, you know, kind of changed up the style that was highlighted in Monday Night Football. Um, but Everton are capable of going and not putting in another good performance. Likewise, Burnley, Leeds, of course, look, they're playing Manchester City, um, which is always difficult. But it's it's so difficult to say, you can continue this run of form, but it, it it just doesn't work like that. And, you know, you have to, you know, it's the, the oldest and worst cliche in football. They have to take one game at a time. Now, Everton have the game in hand. They can sort that out and kind of get a result. Then the pressure will start to crank on the other teams. Now, it's better to be going into your next game in good form, but it, it, it really does kind of go out the window. You have to take each game on its merit and, you know, you have to go up against your opponent. You have to give it everything. Uh, what what does a, a performance like that actually do to the mindset of Everton, where um, everybody's written you off? It feels like it feels like the situation is desperate, and then all of a sudden something happens. 
you get a bit of a spark you get that performance the fans I think it's really important like uh, watching Seamus Coleman speak afterwards about you know his entire career there at Goodison Park and rarely experiencing an occasion like that it's so it's so weird that I, but you know when when crisis happens the community comes together and if they dig it out from here uh, who knows what will happen but um, what what does something like that do to a dressing room does it supercharge everybody or like because you obviously and the cliche is true about game to game does it do nothing in some ways either I think it, it, it does a lot it's like it's like any walk of life um, like you look at it now obviously it's Tuesday morning or whatever if, if you have a good weekend you know you have a nice time or whatever whatever job you're in you go in Monday morning, you're kind of refreshed and you're looking forward to the week. You know, when you're when you're in a slump, it's it's difficult to, you know, come out of that. Certainly, you know, that's no different to, you know, professional football. You look at Everton, you know, when they've had tough results, going into training on a Monday morning, trying to prepare for a game, everyone's a little bit flat. You know, they're you're kind of you're thinking, Oh, are we ever gonna be able to turn this around? There's moaning, there's groaning, you know. But when you get a win like that, the lift you know, like, as you said there, when Seamus spoke after, you know, the fans are going home happy. They're probably hanging around after to, you know, the, the parents who brought their kids to meet players. There's that little bit of a buzz. There's that bit of a lift. And then the players come into training, you know, they start the next week looking forward to the next game where you, you're just on it and you're you're happy to be there. You're not looking around going, oh, my God, we could be relegated. This is going to be the end of the world or whatever. You're kind of, there's that buzz and a kick, you know, it can kickstart you. No. Everton have to go and do that again in the next game. They have to kick on again and, you know, reproduce a performance like that and get a result. Like you just, even watching Chelsea the other day, I never felt like it was one of those games, you know, we, we, we as, you know, former professionals, you look back and you always have those moments. I often highlight, you know, the Wales game when we played away with Ireland. I never felt like Wales were going to score. Like, I, even looking at that the other day, I know Pickford had, you know, an incredible save he made. Um, I just, I just felt like this is everything's game to win. They're going to win it. You know, they just, everything was going their way. You know, you seen Damari Gray making tackles and blocks, which you wouldn't really associate with, you know, with your flair players. Um, it was just one of those games where everything, everything was kind of going for them and they were fighting tooth and nail, but they kind of deserved to win it. So that when you can get a win like that over the line against one of the top clubs, it, it just breeds confidence into the group. Now they have to build on that and go into the next game and reproduce another performance to get another result. Um, in terms of the title race then, uh, for Liverpool, all of these games are potential banana skins at this point. Some of them are going to be easier and more routine than others. On the face of it, it looked like perhaps at the weekend was going to be one of those banana skins. But again, mm. uh, they managed to make it routine, relatively routine. Yeah, the first half was very comfortable. Obviously, you know, getting the goal. Um, it looked you know, fully in control. They just kept the ball. They moved it well. But the start of the second half, you know, I was biting my um, my nails because Liverpool were making so many unforced errors. They weren't keeping possession. Um, they were just inviting Newcastle back into the game. And of course, look, Newcastle, you know, they've been fantastic since, you know, Eddie Howe's turned the corner. Um, you look at the success they've had. What are they up to now? Ninth in the table. Um, so then Newcastle started to huff and puff. And you know, you know, it was there was moments when you did worry, and you were just saying, "Please, can Liverpool just get the second goal to put this game to bed?" But you know, Jurgen obviously made five changes, which shows you what he thinks of you know the Champions League, the second tie, which is obviously tonight. Um, you know, it did it, 
he did use a squad, which was very interesting. Um, you know, you, you are tuning a lot, but he did make five changes. But Liverpool got the job done, albeit it wasn't as comfortable in the second half. But, you know, it's three points and they, and they, they just keep, this machine keeps going. James Milner obviously made a bit of a rare start at the age of 36, played really well. Jurgen Klopp spoke about his importance after the game. Like You obviously speak to, to Jordan Henderson quite a bit. Have you ever got a sense of how important Milner is, even though you know Henderson is captain and uh, Van Dijk obviously is a massive leader in that dressing room? But I presume Milner, just I guess given the experience that he has, is as important than the lads when it comes to leading that dressing room. Yeah, well, look, it's... Uh... I don't want to bring them into it, but United are a great example. You look at the United changing room, you kind of look at the leaders they have in there, and then you compare that to Liverpool. And, like, obviously, as you said there, right, Jordan's captain, James is vice captain, but then you've got Scottish captain, left back, you've got the Dutch captain, centre back, Matip is captain. Okay, Trent, he's not a, you know, he's not a bad lad, he's a good lad, and works hard. Like, I think, then you obviously go to the, say, the front line, like Salah's, the Egyptian captain, Mane's, the, you know, Senegalese captain. They just have captains everywhere. And it's kind of a changing room that has been built over time with these leaders. But that is, you know, Jordan and James have been, you know, pivotal to that. Um, they are the, the two that kind of lead the group. You know, you, you always look at, even when, you know, Adam Lalana left, if you remember, Jürgen spoke about how... Adam, James and Jordan had kind of ran everything. They had looked after everyone and whatever. They were huge. They are huge characters in that group. Um, and James is no doubt, like, look, it'll be frustrating for him. He's probably, you know, a lad who wants to play every game. Um, he's incredibly fit. He's still, you know, you've seen the performance against Newcastle. He's still well capable of doing a job in, mid, in midfield in the Premier League. But I think he himself and Jordan have this nice dynamic where, you know, they do kind of, run the changing room but then again it's not a, it's probably not a difficult changing room to run because there's so many top professionals who are captains with their international teams that there's this there's this beautiful you know harmony between the group um that they you know they don't let standards slip um i've been fortunate enough to watch training a few times and you just see them all it's, it's they're just on top of one another like training's always at such a high level and that's why they're able to you know over these past few years go to Toe to toe at Manchester City, um, and that's you know that's testament to the type of lads there. What do you expect from the game tonight then? Oh, I don't know. Um, I was very disappointed with Villarreal. Obviously, happy from a Liverpool perspective. Um, they kind of sat in. I think they kind of tried to frustrate Liverpool and try and nick you know goal on the counter attack. They never kind of got a grip to the game. Um, obviously, no at home. You know, the, the old yellow submarine, they call it. The fans are going to be out. They're going to have to go and, you know, try and take Liverpool on. Um, I can't see them doing it in the opening 20 minutes. I can see them probably huffing and puffing and late on the first half. And then second half, they're going to have to go for it. Um, that should suit Liverpool, certainly in the way they play. Um, they're more than comfortable, at, you know, if a team sits in, keeping the ball and knocking it around. But if a team steps onto Liverpool with the front three, I expect Salah to come, you know, come straight back in tonight. You probably play Mane and Diaz. You know, with those front three, the pace they have, um, the precision, everything, it's just goals there for them. Um, so if Villarreal do come after Liverpool, I can see them being picked off. But you know, Liverpool have obviously been, you know, been able to keep a number of clean sheets across, you know, the Premier League and the Champions League. So it's going to be, it's going to be one of those games, I think that, you know, it's going to be a bit nervy, but I, I do feel Liverpool will score. Um, and I think after the first leg, I think they have that cushion of the two, the two goal lead. So I think they'll be fine. 
the one thing uh, is that Champions League semi-finals there's always a little bit of something something happens like mm. if you're Villarreal you want to be agents of chaos particularly maybe not in the first 20 minutes but straight away mm. after that so like and with no away goals you know I don't really buy into the whole 2-0 uh, leads one of the worst uh, leads in football but like I expect something to happen from Villarreal I expect something I expect them to try something tonight yeah they will you, you've no doubt that Unai Emery has a game plan um, you could probably see them sitting in and then trying you know trying to catch Liverpool with the high line something along those lines where they're switching balls um, say from the right side trying to catch out Trent who's a, you know for, further forward or Likewise, the opposite side, try and get in down the sides of them. Um, it'll be interesting to see. I imagine Kanate will probably start with Van Dijk. Um, then try, that's, they've got to do something like that because if they try and go toe-to-toe passing, we've seen in the first leg, Liverpool's pressing. Um, they just get after players. They're able to win the ball back high up. Um, I, I saw something really interesting uh, recently with Ragnick speaking about you know Liverpool's front three, which at the time would have been Mane, Firmino and Salah. Um, and he said Jurgen's actually turned them into ball-winning forward players. What he means by that is they're actually tackling players. It's not just a case of high pressing where you're you're forcing your opponent into to an error. They're actually you know tackling players. And it is true that you know Jurgen has you know turned them into. If you look at the amount of tackles that Mane, you know Diaz, Salah do, um, they win the ball in those high positions. And if Villarreal started you know be comfortable and try and build up and play out from the back they will get caught because these fellas are just incredible at what they do and it's just a well-oiled machine that just keeps going um so i expect liverpool to come through it but you know villarreal are gonna they're gonna make it difficult you know they're no mugs they obviously had great results over Bayern munich and juventus and that um the uh, title race then obviously uh, a little bit of pressure on man city and then the pressure's over really really quickly because they are <laughs> just finding their groove at the moment and finding things pretty easy like this is the concern i suppose i suspect if you're a liverpool fan is that um you can't really see a case to be made for anybody to stop city on the league front no um i think i was on a, I don't know, a week or two ago and they, i got asked the same question i just can't see either team losing the premier league um that's the truth like I know Liverpool have got Spurs coming up, to, which would be seen as probably the most difficult of both sets of fixtures. Um, I fully expect Liverpool to come through that, but like City, just they just turn out results. You know, um, they're just unstoppable. Like I, I, I said, Liverpool are a well-oiled machine. So are Man City. Um, you know, look, you look at the resurgence of Jesus, the amount of goals he scored in the last few weeks, going back to you know when he came back into the team against Liverpool. Um, they just have incredible squads. And, you know, City, you know, it's kind of like, oh, you're going against Leeds. Who they don't, I know they beat them 7-0 earlier on in the season. They didn't have a good record against Leeds. Um, they'd lost twice and drawn twice in the last, you know, four before the 7-0 victory. So it's kind of one of them, you're wondering, oh, will it be a tough game? And then City just go out and pull them apart. Um, and I, 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 I see Manchester City and I, I just feel that both teams will end up winning, the, you know, the remaining fixtures. And unfortunately, Liverpool will come up short. If you're Pep, are you doing everything to, to try and appease Gabriel Jesus to make sure he stays at the club or at least don't sell him to a Premier League rival? Oh, um, it's it's an interesting one because the, the timing of it was kind of weird and then Jesus has kind of come back in and he's been in you know fantastic form. Um, I think Pep has always kind of had a question mark over him as that number nine. Um, it kind of looked at early days that he was a natural progression to Guero, but he simply doesn't score enough goals to be, you know, in Aguero's category. Um, I know he scored a lot recently, but 
he started deploying them off wings in different games. Um, obviously, there's the link with Arsenal. I think he'd be a good signing for Arsenal. Um, obviously, then there's the relationship between Pep and Arteta that he might, you know, look after his own mate. Um, I think kind of there's obviously been the talk of Haaland. You know, is he coming? Um, who knows? But I think I think I think with Jesus, his race is ran. Um, I really do. I don't think. Like he'll he'll see himself as starting week in week out, albeit yeah he's come in for the last few games, but he knows deep down that you know start the next season whether you know City get Haaland or not, he's not going to you know turn out 40, 45 games this or next season. So I feel he'll probably want to go, you know, and, and be someone's number nine playing week in week out, and maybe you know Arsenal is the best solution for him. Just one of the other things from the Manchester City game before we let you go, John Giles was on last Thursday night chatting about Rodri and saying that he'd like to see him create a few more goals or be involved in the goals a little bit more and then sure enough after 13 minutes on Saturday he he scores a goal. Um, it, it's an interesting one David because I guess Giles' perspective on it would be that defensive midfielders, there, there should be no problem with them contributing to the attack, they should be contributing to the attack but it feels maybe that the, the modern defensive midfielder, that's not really their role at all. Like Where, where is the truth in all that? I fully understand where where John is coming from. Um, certainly in terms of you know Rodri and the team he plays in, style of play they have. But I I often wonder, you know, why is Pep got him as the six? Why is Pep use him in that role? And what is his role in that team? Um, of course, you could you could highlight probably he should get more assists. Um, certainly because City pin teams in, but I think he's he's just there to take them over. I think he's there. Rodri's role in the team. If you look at him, he's very composed. Um, he's very, you know, comfortable on the ball. Um, he almost reminds me of, you know, if you remember Pep's team back in the 2010 era. He's there, Busquets, um, and obviously Busquets was, was labelled the same thing. Doesn't have enough assists. Doesn't have enough goals. But I think Pep Pep doesn't care about him scoring or assisting. I think it's more about his role within the team that. He has to be the one who's always available for the ball, who can sustain attacks, who can switch play, who can keep things going. And if, you know, the opposition do win the ball in the counter-attack, Rodri's there to break it up. Um, I understand where he's coming from, that you want your midfielders to score more goals and assists. Obviously, I heard there just before I joined about Declan Rice, that's something that's been labelled at him. Could he score more goals and, you know, assist more? But I look at it that Pep is probably looking, I'm going, you're completely fine in what you're doing. I'm very happy with you. You don't need more goals. You don't need more assists. Um, keep doing what you're doing. And look, they've been so successful. Of course, I know they haven't won the Champions League, but certainly in terms of their domestic cups, the Premier Leagues, um, they've been... So you can you can cut it up two ways. Like, should the midfielder, should the six be scoring more goals, uh, assisting more? Of course, yeah, you'd like that, but... Inevitably, it comes down to what the manager wants and the manager is happy with them because he picks them week in, week out. All right. David Minor, we'll let you go. Thanks a million. Cheers. Cheers, gents. So uh, David Minor giving some thoughts on the weekend's football. What do you expect to happen tonight? Is it routine? Is it routine? No chaos? Like, Champions League semi-finals have traditionally given us some weird, weird stuff. Yeah, there's a reason Villarreal, I guess, sat deep last week. And that's because they know that Liverpool can tear them to shreds. If Villarreal don't do that thing, I think Liverpool have every potential of of tearing them apart. But you don't know. Like I mean, you think about the 2006 semi-final. I think Villarreal gave Arsenal a bit of a, a heart attack in that second leg. Uh, even though, okay, now in fairness, the first leg was a bit different to how the, the last week went, and there was a, a smaller gap between the teams than there is this time. But 
I don't know. There's something about Unai Emery as well. When who was it? We were talking about earlier on Tyrone. We were talking about Fergal Logan coming out and being like, "We're we're we're such a we're in a sorry state." Uh, Unai Emery in Europe, you just have to be a little bit cautious about hit, writing him off completely. But Liverpool are just too good. It's it's all to do with Liverpool. Liverpool are just too good. Uh, Liverpool are very good at the moment. It's true. But then we get I don't know. Okay, uh, Fergus says I hope Katie retires as I fear Serrano would knock her out the next time. You do wonder though, like from a psychological perspective. Serrano knows that's the absolute peak that I can reach. I I was winning the fight at one stage and then I got broken down at the end of it. Like, uh, you know, Pursun obviously put it up to Katie in the first fight, but the second fight wasn't really a contest. Is that what happens here again? Is there a bit where it's like, I've broken you now, and so the next fight is routine? Not yeah. routine. It's never going to be routine, but easy, easier. That that this doesn't the second fight does not follow the same pattern as the first one. Well, like was it Maldonado saying last week though that Katie Taylor is going to reach a point in her career pretty soon where things will just start to slow down for her. Yeah, and he and he wasn't saying it's now thirty five year old Katie, but he was saying that a thirty five year old is closer to that point. So that's what the Serrano camp will be thinking that if you leave this thing go maybe until next year, they'll have a, a better chance of beating her. Uh, Eddie Harm was talking about three minute rounds. Says Neve, if that was the case the other night, she would have been knocked out. Would it be foolish to agree to that? I mean, you don't have to agree to it. It's like, no, not doing that. Yeah. We're the champ. You want to come with the king? Great, but these are the rules. Uh, Leads of three wins, two draws and one loss to Man City in their last six games, says confidence wellness. In a battle for sure, but have a look at the form, lads. Uh, CS says the problem for Leeds is in form. It's not in their hands anymore. She had fancied them to beat Brighton and Brentford in that current form, but they could be all but gone before then. I think if they were to get six points against Brighton and Brentford, they're probably going to be safe. But uh, we don't know what's going to happen. That's why it's been a bit crazy. Shane Hannan is with us. Shane, good morning to you. Morning, lads. How are things? Yeah, very good. Very good. Uh, you were um, peaky blindersing it up at Punchestown, I saw. <laughs> yeah, I was there. I went with no socks as well, which which proved controversial on Instagram. Um, so that's never going to happen again. But I had a great time in Punchestown. It was very, very enjoyable. Uh, and you got your ankles tanned. Got my ankles tanned. Got my ankles tanned. It was yeah. It was it was mad. It was my first time in Punchestown. I, I met Owen Sheehan at uh, at the entrance, and he reminded uh, me that he had been at Punchestown last at Oxygen 2011, and wow. uh, I was at the same festival. So we were both rekindling and getting very nostalgic. It has to be said. Uh, Oxygen 2011 was like kind of a, a teddy bear's picnic compared to the scenes at Punchestown on uh, Friday last week. To be quite honest with you, it was the most. You haven't recovered. Uh, uh, no, I have recovered. Uh, you don't sound like it <laughs> no I've just got a bit of a cold uh, which has <laughs> nothing to do with it I mean I, like some of the scenes of punches out on Friday well, oh my god well, I'm not like there's absolutely zero 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 chance uh, because we will get a no I can't even say like I mean we, we will be in trouble we will be in a lot of trouble if if I re- re- recounted some of the stuff the that Kentucky I Derby is decadent and depraved uh, yes <laughs> that's the yes decadent and depraved apparently was it a record crowd or close to yeah, it yeah it was on, record yeah. on Friday you guys swelling in alright yeah um, I wore socks though so um, you, you win is that what you're I, saying I win yeah uh, right well Team OTB are taking on Triathi this June it's all a partnership with Whoop the personalised digital fitness and health coach that helps you unlock your inner potential uh, that's it there. Um, Shane, you are going to win this, right? You're going to win not just the OTB competition, but you're aiming to win the whole of Tri High. Is that fair? Uh, very fair, uh, Jaron. I know a lot, a lot of confidence the last time we partook in um, a sporting activity as a, as a team. Um, but I think you need a bit of confidence. I'm Like, I'm 28 years of age, Jaron. I'm 
probably in the prime of my life, I think. Um, <laughs> it's never going to be better than this physically, mentally, emotionally. Um, so I just need to appreciate that. And why wouldn't I be the favourite? Like, it sounds strange to say when, when literally Irish legend Brian O'Driscoll is one of the other people partaking, but am, am I right in saying Brian is only doing one leg? Doing the cycle, yeah. He's yeah. also not 28. So you're going to beat him in the cycle. Is that what I'm hearing here, Shane? At least. I'm actually more afraid of yourself, Jer, in the cycle because you're a man who, you're one of these middle-aged uh, men in Lycra who constantly out and about, um, pumping the, the kilometres in. Like, that that makes me afraid and I, I feel like my bike maybe isn't up to the to the standard. It's only a, it's only an old hybrid. I know you probably have a have a racer bike with a with a motor on it. Um, oh, like, a motor's a good idea. I should get a motor. Part. I should I should go full moto. Man. Yeah. Get one of those little things that fit. You need a US postal bike though to, to fit according to the documentary. Um, no, I, I, um, I'm behind, Shane. Uh, it's fair to say COVID knocked me off my perch. Well, this is like this is the thing. So training is important, and um, like I remember when I did the the Dublin Marathon in, in 2015. So we're talking seven years ago now. I was young, I was immature. Did you win I that? I did. Funny enough, I didn't win the marathon. I was very disappointed. I think a, maybe an Ethiopian guy came ahead of me. Okay, which was very disappointing. But um, I tried. But it, it's one of those. I, I was actually I didn't train for the Dublin Marathon in 2015. I was very very stupid. Not recommended. I was drinking on the Wednesday and the race. I think was on the Saturday or Sunday. It was not. It was not the approach to take. I was almost kind of testing myself to see can I can I do a marathon with no training whatsoever. Um, but now I'm I'm seven years older, wiser, more mature. I know that's not the attitude to take, and uh, I'm not underestimating this this triathlon. I think like the fact that it's it's home advantage for you, Jer, as well, and. In a thigh, I'm, I'm sure you've you know the course like the back of your hand. You're aware of all the twists and turns, especially on the water. So that has to be an advantage, I think. I'm going to float down the river. That's my plan, like a, like one of those little bobs that you see uh, the fishermen use. Uh, so what what is your training like at the moment? Legitimately, what are you actually doing? So I'm like at the minute I'm kind of doing strength training in the gym and runs. Now I haven't been on the bike and. Like I've been going to the pool. Uh, like I, I am a member of my local pool here in Monaghan Town, and yet every time I go to the pool recently, I spend twenty minutes in the steam room, fifteen minutes in the sauna, and ten minutes in the jacuzzi, and then I leave uh, and have not entered the swimming pool itself. <laughs> so I keep going and forgetting to actually get in the pool and do lengths. So that that's a worry. I'm actually I'm not like I wouldn't be the world's strongest swimmer, and I'm. Uh, kind of mildly terrified of, of that uh, aspect that leg certainly fills me with fear like 250 meters doesn't sound like a lot on paper but it's actually when you put when you when you like iron it down it's 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 a lot of swimming like us three lads we all did the 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 swimming lessons in um, trinity college for off the ball back in the day pre-covid seems like a lifetime ago now but that like 250 meters if if, if our coach at that point had said Right, lads, hop in the pool and do two fifty. No problem. We'd have been filled with fear, I think. No problems. We were Maybe we were practicing swim a mile. Two hundred. We were we going to do five times at two hundred fifty meters. This is easy. You're talking yourself into it. This is ridiculous. If Owen was telling me he was worried about two fifty. In fairness, we all saw him in the pool. That would have been, you know, that would have been fine. <laughs> fifty he, would have been a struggle. Yeah, but it's it's like, come on. A river is different, though, right? Like the the surely the water. I think it's down current. I think it's. I think we're going to be grand. You're. I, you don't be worried about it here. I, the one thing I would say is that um, we all get access to each other's stats. It's been notable to me that the 
the person who gets the most rest, who sleeps the best out of all of us on the team is Nathan, who always routinely hits like 80, 85% of his target. Wow. What's See, the secret, and, I wonder? And, and he has kids as well. Like the Owen and myself and a few of the younger lads, Tommy, probably don't have... Um, we don't have that excuse of, of kids. So you're you're out carousing. That's the problem. <laughs> but like, how is Nathan the one Not that gets all the sleep? I don't know. I don't know, Shane. It's a very good question. It's uh, it's one of the benefits of being part of our uh, Whoop community. Right. Well, uh, so I'm going to beat you in the swim and you're going to beat Draco in the cycle. That's what I'm hearing from this morning. <laughs> I think you're going to beat you're going to beat everyone in the cycle, Jer. And, uh, I don't think so. I will... I think I'll be behind after the the run is last, right? So I, like I'll be I'll be behind after the first two elements, but I think my run will be so strong that I might might catch up no matter what the lead is. So I'm I'm confident about the run part. Winner winner chicken dinner. That's what I'm hearing from Shane Hannon this morning. Good stuff, Shane. Thanks a million. Cheers, lads. Good stuff. Uh, Team OTB taking part in Triathai this June. It's all in partnership with Whoop, the personalised digital fitness and health coach that helps you unlock your inner potential. Uh, you can. Um, uh, compare and contrast each other and that's the, the best part about this is uh, I, I think that um, Shane will win irrespective of uh, how well his training goes or what his equipment is like now Carl Milani is with us Carl, good morning to you how are you? Morning lads not too bad how are you? We haven't talked about the penalty shootout uh, yet in you know that would normally be in the green um, Clare versus Limerick Clare like Clare so close to delivering on all the promise of recent years but they just got caught by Limerick yeah, it was some game. Absolutely unbelievable match. Um, Clare gay, or Limerick actually got a free at the end to level things up. And then Clare had to kick a free in extra time to level things up again. And then the penalties, Limerick's penalties were unbelievable. Uh, brilliant. But yeah, for Clare, I suppose it's disappointed in the fact that they're on the opposite side of the draw to uh, Kerry and Cork. All of the teams on the other side would have looked at this year is a real chance to get to the provincial final but it just didn't work out for Clare but I have to give Limerick huge credit I mean Billy Lee spoke afterwards and he spoke about I think in 2018 they had a bit of a hammering at the hands of Clare and then they got a hammering by Mayo in the qualifiers and he said basically after that they knew that they needed to get up to a certain physical level to compete with those teams and they have done so and uh, it was just a brilliant result for them and you would probably back them to be Tipperary now in the next match as well uh, and get through to the Munster final which is a huge rise for them but the penalty shootout was brilliant. Uh, such a novel way to finish a match. I'm not sure. I know some of the guys in the Sunday game said it wasn't the best way to maybe to finish a championship match. Blah, but blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah. I don't know. Blah, 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 I don't know. Blah. Come on. What are you going to do? Like, ruin the whole fixture list because we can't finish the stuff in the day. What are you going to do? The penalty shootout's great. I thought it was great. Like, I saw the picture from... Uh, behind from behind the penalty takers before I actually watched the highlights and I was like wow there was a big crowd behind that goal but there wasn't they all just moved behind all, the goal as soon as the, the penalties actually <laughs> yeah. started to try and uh, to put off yeah. the, the, the Limerick players like I mean the thing is like so much happened in the game like the, the Limerick goal from the fullback like was just one of the, one of the most uh, unbelievable most of the championship probably absolutely unbelievable and he carried a lot of great ball out from the back actually yeah, Brian Fanning he played really really well um, two really good sides uh, you know Clare are going to be sticky opposition in the qualifiers as well I would think for I was actually at their game when they played Mayo down there in the league last year and uh, they only lost by four points to Mayo. So I think any team that has to go to Cusick Park uh, is going to find it very, very tricky. Um, but for Limerick, brilliant for them. I mean, they, they've done a lot of work and I think they have a lot of work going on in their academy as well that they're quite confident that yeah. in the coming years they can they can really pack a punch. Yeah. So they look to be on the rise, definitely. They're breaking hurls all over the place. <laughs> We've Billy Lee. Hearing all about that, that um, they're putting the same effort into the football as they are into yeah. hurling. So uh, equal opportunity destroyers coming your way. What else going on, Carl? 
Uh, well, let's start with last night's uh, Premier League action. Ralph Ragnick's final home game as Manchester United's interim boss ended in a 3-0 win over Brentford in the Premier League last night. That result leaves United in sixth with two games left to play. Liverpool attempt to book their place in a third Champions League final in five years tonight. They take a 2-0 lead to Spain for the second leg of their semi-final tie with Villarreal. Kickoff for that game is at eight. Big game in the Championship tonight as well. It's Bournemouth against Nottingham Forest, second against third. Fulham clinched the title last night. They beat Luton by seven goals to nil. A UEFA's decision to ban Russian teams from participating in European competition is set to benefit St. Patrick's Athletic. The Inchicore club now set to enter the Europa Conference League at the second round stage as opposed to the first round. Patsokors won last season's FAI Cup and finished second in the SSE Electricity League Premier Division. UEFA has also thrown Russia out of this summer's Women's European Championships in England. Uh, Ronnie O'Sullivan says he was never bothered about records after winning his seventh World Snooker Championship title last night, overcoming the challenge of Judd Trump by 18 frames to 13 at the Crucible O'Sullivan's triumph means he's now level with Stephen Henry's record of seven world titles. Some positive injury news for Leinster ahead of the weekend's Heineken Champions Cup action. Stuart Lancaster says that James Ryan could feature against uh, Leicester in their quarter-final tie at, Lent- at uh, Welford Road. Uh, Ryan back in training after suffering a concussion on international duty with Ireland back in March. Ryan Baird and Ronan Kelleher also in contention to play in that quarter-final tie. Uh, in yesterday's Gaelic Games action, a late point from Joe Fitzpatrick earned Kilkenny a place in the Leinster under 20 hurling final. They beat Galway in a cracker by 128 to 127 after extra time in Tullamore. Wexford also threw. They beat Dublin by a point 115 to 114. And finally there's racing at Ballinrobe in County Mayo today. The first is off there at 10 to 5. Alright, we're going to be joined by Anthony Moyes in just one second. Here's Brian Kerr talking some Everton first. After that performance today, my mind has totally changed. What do you think they've done? Well, they certainly adjusted the style of play. I mean, you look in the last four games, they beat Manchester United 1 0, they draw with Leicester 1 1, they beat 2 0 at Liverpool, they beat Chelsea today. So they got seven points in those four games. I think if you'd have asked any Everton supporter in advance of the four games, would they take seven points? They said, yes, please. Um, I think, you know, they've obviously played a much tighter system. They changed today again and went, went to a five at the back with Alex Iwobi right back. Um, and Mikalenko left left wing back with, with Seamus going into a towards centre half and it was very effective allowed the centre halves to go in after Werner and Mount playing as whatever the two number 10s are called now and uh, they they defended very well and they waited on the chance didn't get too many chances in the first half but they worked hard to get the chance in the second half and Ricardison played very well uh, mostly as the defensive centre forward, I'd say chasing round Everton's three centre backs to stop the build-up play. But um, they got the reward, they got the goal, and they dug in. But it did take some great saves from Pickford to keep uh, Chelsea out. But a massive victory for them, and it gives them a good chance. But you know, unfortunately, from their point of view, Burnley are on a bit of a run as well. They've won three games in a row, and. Uh, Leeds are there. Leeds are not in a great in a great situation, but mm. um, they've given themselves a real chance, and and they'll obviously be confidence in the side now having won that game today. Can they do something in a couple of the away matches? Is the question. They've their away form is very poor. They're still to go to Watford. I think they've got. Um, They've Watford and they've got Brentford yeah, and they've got Villa Arsenal, Villa and they've got Villa, they've got Villa. So you know there's still points there for them to get, but they're going to need more points. That puts them on 32, 
I, I, I think they'll need 38 points to stay up. At 8.53, we're turning our attention to Gaelic football. Anthony Moyles is with us in studio. Uh, you called Derek Tyrone correctly. Uh, well, yeah, I suppose I won't. Uh, I'm sure I'm going to make plenty more mistakes. So, yeah, I just, I just think it, 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 it felt that way. I know you guys were talking about it obviously a lot last week, um, and we've been obviously following Derry through the league. Um, look, I was massively impressed with them, Jer. Massively impressed with them. Now, you know, we can get on to Tyrone in a few minutes because definitely Tyrone didn't help themselves, but. Um, they're like I mean, obviously they've loads of talent, loads of talent throughout the squad, but massive amount of pace and also an ability to back themselves. So like, there's a, there's a willingness to back themselves first of all. So, you know, I think there has been an awful, um, I suppose, trait through football over the last number of years that when you come into the tackle, you retain possession. So you spin back out of the tackle and you pass the ball backwards or sideways or whatever it is. Whereas they were one hundred percent. Uh, drilled, you could see it. They, they, were, they were willing to back themselves, but also they had the, the skills and the speed to execute. That actually, when they came to a man, they took him on. So, like, I think teams, and I know we've spoken about this before, about this whole risk reward, um, and you know, you can see it in how Dublin are trying to change and certain things. The, the whole idea now of retain, retain possession, retain possession. The better teams are realizing actually. Like that's that's only going to get you so far. Yeah. So we need to have a risk reward situation here, and the risk reward when I come up against even you or even two players is I'm going to have to try to take you on. Uh, and if you're tr- if you're if you're really busying yourself during training sessions to to get adept at that, to get confident at it, to know how to do it, you know, ball in the outside hand when you're going past a man on your right side, all those little small things. But but things actually, to be honest with you, that has been forgotten about. Like if you go to training sessions up and down the country from kids to senior men, you won't see fellas taking each other on anymore. It's just not the thing that was done. You know, years ago it was done because you, you, you invariably you came acro- across those collisions. You know, those kind of interactions were much more prevalent because it was one-on-one an awful lot. So you had to take your man on. You know, you always heard it being sh- roared in, take him on, take him on, you know. Whereas for the last number of years it wasn't, it was retained. So their ability to do that, um, obviously to back themselves... Like, they just showed Tyrone as... Like, Tyrone looked like a slow team. Mm. A slow team. A, a labouring team. How did a team how, of, let's talk about Tyrone. How did that happen? How did they become... How did they go from being All-Ireland champions who were self-confident against anybody in any situation last year with a really well-drilled game plan and, like, yeah. a beautiful rhythmic style where they could go along if they needed to? They, had, they were the ones who would have, like, Conor McKenna bursting on a straight line... Uh, knowing exactly what well, everybody knew what their role was to that that team that looked like uh, they were uncertain of everything every right. aspect of their game plan looked uncertain and, and you've hit the nail on the head there the, that, that was the uncertainty you could see it literally from minute one that they were kind of looking around going okay who's going to take the mantle on here and you've seen that throughout the league like bar a couple of fellas like Myler and Hart in a few games I think let's start from the top I thought the selection was a bit strange like I mean Canavan has been one of their best forwards in the league I felt he's been a guy who's tied an awful lot of things in um, for him not to start I was kind of going okay that's 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 an interesting one um, you know the McKenna thing getting back all of that did that kind of throw the eye off the ball I, I don't it, I, I find it very very difficult to put my finger on exactly what's going on there's obviously something going on and we've said this inside the camp like the se- six or seven people to, to, to hit the high road um, 
it's not like you're hitting the high road from a team that's about number 12 in the country. You're hitting the high road from the All-Ireland Champions. You have a, probably a decent enough fair crack of the whip of getting another you know, medal in your back pocket and you're deciding, actually, I've done with this. So there's something going on there. There's a paradigm involved there between someone that something, something's not working. There's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a miscommunication or there's something people aren't believing what they're being told. Right, so so that's that on its own. Seven out of a potential panel of thirty. That's a big number. Well, it, it's it not two. Changes the quality of your training significantly. Well, well, let's okay. So the actual fundamentals of it is it does all that. But what does it do for the atmosphere around the whole place? Like they're pals of fellas. They're fellas that they've gone into battle before with. Like I mean, this this idea of number one is the same as number thirty. Well, is it? You know, so you've all of that going on. Um, then you come down to actually just their execution and how they're playing. And as I said, they they look slow. Now, of course, they're not slow, right? They're still the same team. They're still able to do all of those things that we know they can do. But when you're not really believing it, when you're not really believing your own role in it, when you're not really sure of your direction of where you're going, um, they seemed completely confused. They they showed an unbelievable lack of heart. There's a there's a there's a clip. I don't like to call him players out, but but O'Neill comes on at half time. Um, he's on the pitch. I'd say only five or six minutes. A kick out comes. He contests the kick out. He loses the kick out. I think he fouls the man. I can't remember who is the, the half back for for, for 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 Derry. He kicks up only a short little kick pass about ten fifteen meters, and, and and he basically jogs back like jogs back. Now he's only on the pitch, and I remember rewinding it two or three times, and I just said like there the, the lack of desire to get back, the lack of desire. I've never seen a team in Ulster come out with the ball as easy as the Derry backs were coming out with the ball. Like, they were just sauntering out. Like, they were literally able to pick their man out, come out there, get one tackle on them, and then there was no hunger, there was no intensity at all in the tackle. The forwards, like, McShane spent half the game on the ground. I don't know, look at me, he was like he was skating like I mean he just kept falling on the ground he couldn't keep his footing his his tackle level like if you see it he'd throw in one tackle and it was one of those I'm tackling just because I, I have to tackle you but it was no real intensity to go after the man and then he'd stand up kind of you know saying well uh, that didn't work out for me so I think they're in a really I think they're in absolutely dire straits to be honest with you um, and Derry could have beaten them by more well can you recover from that can Tyrone recover like the big, what are they five weeks a big long break don't know who they're playing yet Could there are some teams floating around in the qualifiers who might be no good like who might not be at their level um, they need one of those um, like I mean people will argue now okay they'll go back to the club they might play a round or two that, that's probably what I would do I'd be saying right we're doing a round of championships or something here in the club get them get them away for a minute because obviously and then the management team are going to have, a think, have to have a think about right how do we re-engineer the atmosphere here and, and where is our motivation to get them so do we, do we hunker down and we go you're all Ireland champions lads Never mind what what's going on here. We're not going to let this. Have you any pride at all? That type of thing. You know, our backs are to the wall. They did that twice last year. Once after the game in Killarney, and once around COVID. Like, yeah. So you know, it's you're not, going back to the well again. Yeah, and and fairness, yeah. like it's reanimating a corpse. Uh, but that's what zombies do. You know, <laughs> exactly. So yeah. I'm not quite writing them off yet, but there's a lot of evidence. If you want to write them off, I wouldn't stop you making the case. Like, I think if they got one of the top teams in that qualifier draw, a team that we wouldn't have expected, say, to be in there, shall we say. Like, it's funny, it'll be the making or they're done. You know? Yeah. 
and, and and if they're done, I think they could peter out. You so know, they could get it hammered could be just, by a, a Mayo or somebody. Yeah, like ten another ten twelve points. Yeah, and I don't even know getting someone weak and you ha- you get and you get over them by seven or eight or nine or ten. That doesn't do a whole pile for you coming into the next one. It really doesn't. There's still the big question marks. They need a big win, and I just can't see it at the moment. Like what was interesting to me on Sunday was this like they really kind of brought a physicality to the game. So they did to Tyrone what Tyrone had done to so many teams in the past to the point where Tyrone got completely wound up. Obviously the kick out, the throwing at a ball. Like how does that happen? How, how do you, like I think that's one of the reasons why Tyrone have been so good in Ulster down through the years is that they have been the aggressor in a very aggressive place. And it seems that they just completely, they, they completely out, got out aggressed, if that's even a yeah. phrase. By, <laughs> yeah. by their, I, I don't know what, yeah. what happened. It was just like so on Tyrone for them to be on the receiving end of that rather than the ones giving it. I think two things happened there. One, one that so it's, it's probably the, the 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 cause and effect. The cause, I think, is is certainly a situation where you don't understand your north star. You're you're, you're kind of what Jerry was saying. You don't really understand the roles, and you, and there is this sense of we're going in here like. Players aren't stupid, so 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 management teams can kind of talk about you know this is what we're doing, and we're all very confident now in doing this, aren't we, lads? And really, players will be questioning it, right? They they will be questioning it, and and you know we've spoken before about say conceding kickouts to teams or setting up a certain way. Players understand. Like if, if it's a really, really solid strategy that you're, say, deciding you're doing this because you know you're, you're going to have a great chance of winning the game, or is it just a strategy of you're keeping the score down? Players will feed off that. And when players go into a game, no matter what you're saying, players will know. And straight away, as soon as the whistle is blown, you, you will see it in their body language. Tyrone looked to me like a team with the body language of, we don't really know where we're going here. Um, we don't really know what we're at. There's players being shifted all over the place. Um, are we really confident in the position? We're in. Like, look at McGeary, look at Ferton players, look at McShane. They're playing with zero confidence, these lads. Zero confidence compared to McShane. He looks, McShane looks about 5 foot 10, 5 foot 11 now. He doesn't look 6 3. Like, I look at him and I kind of go, geez, you'd blow him away. Whereas last year, you see him coming on, you're thinking, this lad's in beast mode. He's coming on here to knock everyone out of the park. He doesn't do that anymore. He doesn't knock any lads over. That's not a physicality thing. That's just a mentality thing. So, what happens then is, because you know that, Owen, you, you also remember. You know, the grey matter is gone, but you wear that. You've an All-Ireland in your back pocket. So then the frustration comes in. And, of course, what happens is a fella's in your face and you're just you're getting more and more annoyed at yourself because you know you can do it, but you're just not doing it. And you just lash out. And, you know, it's a, it's a simple, small thing. It's funny, we brought Hegarty on the show like two weeks ago or just before the first uh, match in the championship and he talked about the league campaign last year and the league campaign this year where you get a little bit narky because you're not quite at the level you know you should be at. Mm. And that was the hallmark of that. Is like You would expect them to know not to do the stupid things they did because it wasn't they weren't sent off for violent conduct it wasn't it was stupidity Petition stuff like, yeah uh, I, I, yeah so look I, I don't know maybe there's a long enough break that they can get a lot of work done yeah for, like, for me the question is like, where, where is the ceiling so like I mean the Limerick thing is interesting because there's such a high ceiling once they refound that spark they could blow teams away Chances are Dublin maybe went through this at various times during the six in a row, but because Leinster was so weak, it never actually showed on the scoreline. Maybe, maybe today against Carlo when Connolly uh, has the altercation with the linesman, maybe that's actually a moment like Tyrone had at the weekend, except for the fact that Dublin were just so much better that there was never going to be a result that was in danger. So maybe this is something that they can turn around. Maybe this is the moment that can, that can spark a, a turnaround in their season because it has happened before. It has happened with maybe defending All-Ireland champions or teams at the very top of the pile. 
I, look, it, it, there is, a, there, of course, there's the possibility. They still have enough quality in the, in in the squad, and certainly on that starting fifteen, or a couple of lads have come in. Um, I'm surprised, you know. I'm just I'm just surprised. I thought like the Donnellys, Richie Donnelly was making quite an impact in the league. It's just, it's just it, there was just an odd feel to the whole team. There was an odd feel to the players that came in. Yeah. There was guys I was kind of going, where's he? You know, like why isn't he on? Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and I know championship. There's often there's often a couple of lads who are pulled out of the, the hat in championship time, but it just it just doesn't look like a happy camp to me. Given given that right. Is there any possibility we actually overrate what Derry have done and that Mon are sitting there lock, licking their chops going, happy days, you guys go off and celebrate like you've just won Sam. We, we know what this is about. We're the uh, old dog for the hard road. They certainly will be um, because they love this. They're, they're sitting away. No one's mentioning them. Everyone, everyone was expecting them to do a job on down, and they did the job on down, and they did it very, very efficiently and effectively. Um, and all the talk will be about, of course, uh, um, Derry. But I think Gallagher is smart enough to realise um, the players, I think, were pretty subdued after it. You know, the Derry players. I didn't see them whooping and hollering and jumping around and going bananas. You know, like, they'd be okay. They'd beaten the All-Ireland Champions. That's, 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 that's still a feather in the cap. Yeah. He was jumping around a bit, but I think he was jumping around. That was a bit more probably, you know, manager. Up manager. For yeah, yeah, and also, you know, he was sticking it to Doer and, and, and Logan probably. Yeah. You know, he's been on the receiving end of those beatings before. So he, 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 he himself, but I think he's smart enough and I think his backroom team be smart enough that they would be able to say, well, actually, listen, let's let's analyse this and you know what, maybe they weren't all that they were, you know, before and maybe we got them on a bad day, etc, etc. And there's a different animal coming to town um, because Monaghan looked very well equipped and very strong, very compact, very capable of, of putting up a big score. But, I'm, but, I, but I still think Derry, Derry are a good outfit. Yeah. Now, will they be given the type of situation? Because you'd imagine Monaghan will say they love to run, lots of power coming from the halfbacks. So what we're going to do is we're going to meet them. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. We're just going to meet them. Yeah. I, I mean, look, it's well set up to be a massive game where uh, the prize is going to be you get to play Donegal potentially uh, yeah. you know, like, <laughs> the hits keep prize. coming <laughs> exactly exactly. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about the Dubs right um, the Dubs had a really strong bench and they had Con back and uh, they yeah, all, who would have known that huh? they all looked lean and yeah. Fenton seems to be taking it personally that people were saying ah sure look you know because he was I mean, we, we were talking about Brian Fenton as the greatest footballer of all time for a while there mm. and that conversation stopped and he's like why did that stop Hang on a second. I'm I'm still like I'm not finished here. Yeah. You know, there's still plenty of time for him to add to his legacy. So, uh how dangerous are Dublin? <laughs> like, I mean, so I'm not I'm not Wexford were bad. They were poor. They were very poor, right? Uh we talk about body language and we talk about setting up and I'm a little bit disappointed in them and you can mean people to say whatever, but I thought last week they would have had a right cut because I th- I, th- I thought the soundings coming from the camp where it's a young team and we're just gonna have a rip at them. And I was saying, Jesus, you know what, fair play, just have the rip. Yeah. But they didn't, right? They they you know, from the throw up you could see, well actually this is not what this game plan is going to be. It's going to be about containing them, trying to catch them on the break, and they just said, Here. Now, the flip side of the coin, Dublin were were very, very efficient and very effective. But we've said this before, unless you're putting that back six under pressure and against Dublin and the new goalkeeper, third choice, yeah, 
make him kick the ball out I don't care give a damn my lads if you kick the thing 40 yards wide at least let's face his kick out and let's squeeze him a little bit and let's put a, you know, a bit of pressure on him I think he had 7 kick outs for the whole game Right, so yeah. you're not going to win. You're not going to win that, and literally you're going to give them the ball. And of course, they were in. They weren't in the mood to say, "Well, we'll just pass the ball around here." They went for the juggler straight away. So, were they very impressive? Uh, yes, they were. Were they allowed to be very impressive? I think they were. Um, but yes, O'Callaghan gives them that focal point. Um, when you look at the bench and look at the ability of who they were able to bring on, um, I still don't think that six is a, is an All Ireland winning six. In the six that started yeah. I think that there will probably be changes obviously with McCarthy and the likes I'm surprised by the Davy Byrne admission you know I think Davy was probably hung out to dry a little bit during the league with no real support around him so I, you know but again it just shows the strength and depth okay but I'm not so sure it, it, it's like I look towards the Meath game and certainly they will be matched in midfield with athleticism. Menton and Jones will be able to motor and will be able to go at, at, at Fenton and Lehiff, right? Um, they will be able to put more pressure on them going backwards and the Meath forward line, you would imagine, will be a bit more, will have more in them. Um, so it's going to be a situation not necessarily of the question marks over the front six, it's going to be the question marks over that back six for Dublin. Okay. Uh, Dublin are eight point favourites for that game against Mead. I think that's too much. Yeah, you see, Mead haven't shown a whole pile, obviously, you know, in different kind of league campaign. The game against Wicklow was was okay. Andy even said afterwards, you know, he wasn't that happy uh, because they just weren't really, he felt at the pitch of it. They tried a new few fellas, came in, made their debuts, did did well. Um, they ended up winning the game fairly well on the scoreline. But actually Wicklow, and Wicklow were playing really good stuff. Um, and Wicklow were doing a massive amount of conditioning and the players was excellent. You know, they were doing a massive amount of work and have been doing a massive amount of work. And they were still in that game with 50 minutes gone. You know, they were matching Mead nearly score for score, except Mead were getting a few goals. Um, So, um, Mead are probably scratching their head. But look, it's Mead Dublin. The Mead fellas will be be absolutely zero. uh, uh, um, You know, they won't won't fall for for motivation coming into this one. And if any time, I think this is the best time for Mead to get them. Because if you got them after a Kildare or a West Mead win, they would be ones. I don't think Dublin have learned a whole pile about themselves. Like, let's be honest. Desi Farrell's sitting there and he's going, right, I still don't know anything about my six. You know, and we shipped a lot of heavy scores in the league. I still don't know how Mead can get at us in that back line. I know I have Khan back, great, tick the box, but sure, he was going to come back anyway and he's probably going to do what he was going to do. And when, you've, when, you've, when, you, when you hand them the ball out around the middle and say, listen, do what you want there with the ball, you know, and there's no real pressure on them, they're going to absolutely fill at you, which is what they did. So it's going to be a different kettle of fish against you. I, do, I think eight is, is, is generous. Uh, I hope it's generous and I think it's generous um, because I think there's still enough question marks over certain individuals in that defence and the way they are and the way they've been playing um, that me can get after them. We need to see a defensive structure from the Dubs really and and uh, hopefully Mead will make them reveal what that is to us because there wasn't one in the league. Correct. Yeah, well, I think, you know, John Small's injury didn't help an awful lot because John would have played that plus one role where he, he kind of has always covered that, that central, that D area. He's always been the man who has intercepted those balls or who's just been there as a presence. So when you look up to kick in, you're like, oh, he's there and he's just marshalling that defence. He's only allowed to do that when there's other individuals around him. Um, so, yeah, I have... and and. 
maybe they have this defensive that they're yet to reveal, you know, and maybe they're just being kind of playing kind of silly buggers throughout the whole league and kind of leaving, as I said, fellas one on one. But when they're playing that 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 type of game that they're playing, which is more of a kicking game and breaking up the pitch, um, it is leaving a bit more at the back, you know, a little bit more fellas exposed. So can they handle it? Um, that'll only be that question will only be answered, I suppose, as they get better quality forwards against them. Okay, it's going to be interesting to see as as, uh, as we evolve. One last point: uh, I was, I mean, I was accused of yarring uh, ahead of the Louth game, but like Louth, <laughs> Louth have ghosts for Kildare that a few other teams actually have. Everybody mm. else, you're like, okay, we understand what the the rules are here, but um, but Kildare were efficient, ruthless, energetic, mm. aggressive, mm. everything you want. It was like they have an identity again. Yeah, we spoke about this on Friday and, you know, Loud's star had absolutely risen. Um, but at the same time, they came up against a county in Leinster whose star has also risen, regardless of the fact that they were only within a kick of the ball of staying in Division 1, right? So, uh, you know, people will look at the campaign and say, oh, well, they went down to Division 2. But really, when you when you focus in on it, you're saying, ah, that's, that doesn't tell the true story. We've gone here. down before where we lost every game and hadn't a chance of winning any of those games. Whereas 100%. in this situation, it was like, OK, I understand why I, exactly why that happens. But also, you know, I've seen... You know, obviously, you know plenty of people in Kildare, and even just look chatting to people around on the border of the stuff. There's there's a different vibe in Kildare. There's a different atmosphere in Kildare. I've seen the work that that Glenn and the and 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 Johnny and the lads are doing, even where they're you know they're they're kind of clapping kind of kids on, and kids are kind of clapping them into Newbridge. There's a just there's a there's an inclusiveness around the game again, which I think hasn't been there for the last number of years. Um, and the inclusiveness comes from the fact that these fellas are legends, obviously, uh, in the Kildare jersey. But that just doesn't necessarily make it that it will work, right? It can often go the other way. Um, the fact is that they've they've done it at underage. Like, Johnny Doyle has been involved there, Anthony Rainbow. They've all been involved at underage. They've all seen how... They've all been involved at club level. So they know the intricacies of it. They know the workings of the county board. They know what they need to probably do to get what they want and, and not get what they want, if you get me. Um, so there's a load of stuff and then they know how to probably like you know more than anyone how passionate Kildare fans are and all they need is a spark and Kildare fans are like Mead fans they really just want to see the team putting effort in yeah. just just give us something yeah. to hold on to try Jeez, and win, try and win. Yeah. <laughs> I mean don't 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 set up not to win. Just try and win. And they're seeing that with them. You know, they're seeing that with them. And Kildare, same as I said, me, but they won't get worried if you get bet by four or five if you actually go out there and put your body on the line and try to do it. And you can see that in them. So um, was I surprised? I was surprised probably by the measure of it, to be honest with you, but I wasn't surprised that they won. And um, they're, they're, they need to, the one thing that they need to probably just make sure it doesn't happen is where they go away from script a little bit and some fellas who shouldn't be taking shots start taking and then that, that brittleness I, I I slightly worried about you know say Mead and Kildare in the sense of if they hit if they hit the mask of Dublin and expect it to fall handily it won't fall No, you're going to have to keep hitting this thing repeatedly and repeatedly and repeatedly just because it's cracked doesn't mean that it's just going to fall off straight away you they know? let us back into the game in the third quarter and there's just a like maybe it's natural you're not going to win 75 minutes of uh, championship football against a team who have good players and dominate the whole thing but there was definitely a bit where the um, it went from 11 points to 5 pretty quickly you know, like, yeah. if that was against the dubs that'd be 2-3 yeah. scored in this game over um, mm. so sure look we're still in it 
Still in the, look at this, Sierra, two weeks in a row. <laughs> <laughs> He's learning champions. from the best now, to be honest, though. And, you know, it is eventually, you're, you know, you have seeped your Yerra-ness into him. No, anyway, this is, it's absolutely infuriating to listen to this crap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. <isn't> <laughs> Bloody hell, like, I mean, it's an absolute disgrace. It's, it's lying, basically. That's what it is. It's dishonesty. <laughs> Anthony Gustav, thanks a million. No bother, lads. Uh, the football pod of Paddy Andrews and James O'Donoghue is hitting the road this summer. We want you to be there. First stop is the Royal Theatre Castle Bar on Thursday, June the 2nd, where Paddy, James and Tommy will dissect, analyse and celebrate male football as well as Championship 2022 in the usual football pod style. Plus, you can expect a local legend or two to join the lads on stage. That's the football pod with Paddy and James and Castle Bar on June the 2nd. Tickets are on sale now. Go to otbsports.com forward slash events to get yours today and stay tuned to OTB for more details on more shows to come. The latest episode is live right now. Here's what's on OTB Sports Radio for you today. At one o'clock, it's Nigel Mansell on OTB Gold. Three o'clock, it's Dadcast. Four o'clock, is Rugby Duos on Pitch Relations. Uh, Brian O'Driscoll and Ronan O'Gara, they had a good one. OTB Gold is Jason Sherlock at six and the show is live tonight from seven. After the break, we've got Alan Quillen on the way. OTB AM on OTB Sports Radio, Ireland's first and only sports radio station. Marginal gains... XG, top speed, recovery, what's it all about? Want to improve but don't know where to start? With more data than ever now available, OTB Sports have teamed up with Whoop to cut through the noise and help you raise your game, no matter the sport. OTB Sports are delivering the metrics that matter. Meaningful metrics in partnership with Whoop, the personalized digital fitness and health coach that helps you unlock your inner potential. See Whoop.com for more. Follow OTB Sports social channels for the best insights and stats this season. This is Sport Ireland Campus, and here is where it all starts. From the little ones learning, to the high-performance athletes leading. Here we go to play, to practice, to progress. Here is where communities in the nation come together to compete, to win, and to belong. Here we go to the next level, then on to the world stage. This is Sport Ireland Campus. And here we go. Visit sportirelandcampus.ie to be a part of it. OTB AM With Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. OTB AM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Let's turn our attention to rugby. Alan Quillen is with us. Alan, good morning to you. How are you getting on? Morning, lads. Yeah, good times, sure. Um, it's the week of the uh, Heineken Cup semi-finals and uh, sorry uh, quarterfinals and we're very interested in, in how the um, teams are actually going to line out for this one we've been talking a good bit now over the last while about who's going to start for Munster particularly at nine let's just jump in straight away how how easy or otherwise is the selection for a game like this this weekend what what are they talking about and what are they trying to weigh up um, I, I was just thinking like obviously a lot of people are, are debating the Craig Casey the merits of Craig Casey starting ahead of Conor Murray um, I think he's improved his game a lot we've spoken about that it's pretty evident for to, for everyone to see um, it'd be a really brave call I think um, I think Conor Murray has been pretty good for Munster I think he was very important in both those Exeter games um, and I was thinking about the merits of it Um you go out and you go, right, we're going to attack to lose from the word go. We're going to try and play with high tempo. We're going to keep loads of pace in the game. Um, or you start Conor Murray and you have that extra defender. Um, excellent at the breakdown. His kicking game is really good. And 
you hope that you get into a lead or that you're not chasing a game because I think the the thought process is if um, you know Craig Casey comes on and Munster pick up the pace of the game. Will they need to do that? I'm not sure. Like I'm really trying to think about what kind of game they need to play against Toulouse. And we saw what Ulster did over in Toulouse, um, attacking them and trying to put width in the game and and been really positive in the way they're trying to play. Um, but you know, Toulouse like that open game as well. I think it's how you manage the game. So there's for and against. I think Conor Murray's experience, I think, as I said, and his defensive um, abilities and um, he's reading of the game. And then you have Craig Casey who can, if they want to start, um, some people would argue that they need to really go for this in the world go. And and I'm not sure. I, I, I'm divided on it. I don't know who they should start at scrum half, but Obviously, in the other positions, they have lots of injuries. I think Thomas Ahern is someone who's really put his hands up uh, in the last few weeks. He's brilliant, um, a brilliant young player. And it's great to see him putting in some performances. Um, Alex Kendellan has been superb as well. Jack O'Donoghue. So I think they're in good form going into the game. But Toulouse have won the competition five times. They they were very lucky to get into the knockout stages. They only beat Cardiff. The other games were a draw and, and a loss to Cardiff and uh, because of COVID they were beaten by Toulouse or beaten by Wasps in in, in, in England as well so um, it's hard to know like if you're basing Toulouse's form and, and in the first six months of the season you think they're they're a bit vulnerable but they've shown the last you know they beat La Rochelle at the weekend there's when you start rattling off the names from the yeah. team, they're, yeah. they're so powerful. Well, that's the thing. They're, they are a championship team and like, not to be patronising here, but if, if Munster get beaten in a close game by this Toulouse team, like, I don't think anybody thinks that uh, Munster are currently at the stage where they should be winning these games automatically. Like, you know, a lot will have to go their way to win it, but... Yeah, they will. And I think power power is one of the, the big concerns, I think. And, and that's where I think... Um, that's where I think um, Conor Murray comes into it. His physicality, his size, um, whether they'll start, start Jenkins in the second row over Witcherly. Um, you know, there's a worry about the front row. They have Mo Vaca and Julian Marchand, Cyril Bai. Um, you know, incredible, incredible power right across the board, particularly up front. So look, it's going to take a mammoth effort for, for Munster and... Um, they won't have Ty Byrne back, I don't think, uh, which is, he's an incredible loss. Kilcoyne is out for the rest of the season. Coombs, maybe Conwell come back in. Uh, but I think they'll feel good about themselves in the last few weeks. If you if you look back on, on Friday night um, against Cardiff, it was a very open, entertaining game. But I think you contrast what we saw against Connacht at Christmas, and there's two stats that jump out from them, for me, is um, 17 offloads. They had one offload against Connacht in Galway. I know the conditions are different and the weather is much better, but I just think they, they, they've they're playing with a lot more confidence and they're they're they look like they're enjoying themselves and they, they want to attack. It's not perfect. Thirty two defenders beaten on Friday night, um, and you know people will argue Cardiff a totally different team than Toulouse, but still there's a lot of Welsh internationals there. And I said this all along. You know when Munster play with some ambition, energy a bit of bite in them, you know, pe- people, the fans will accept that. I think they're realistic and know that, you know, an incredible amount of stuff would have to go right and you need a, a fair bit of luck to be 
you know, to be winning a trophy with this group at the moment. But uh, people are optimistic with some of the young players and what they've done the last few weeks. That conversation about power is obviously the one that has been had for the last few years, the last consecutive few years, and it's particularly one that comes up around Leinster in terms of their defeats over the, the past couple of seasons in Europe. Uh, obviously, they're up against Leicester this weekend themselves. Do you expect this team to continue and, and at the end of the season the, the, the same old problems or the same old debate to be to be had around Irish rugby? Um, no, but I, I, I don't. I think, look, it keeps coming up about La Rochelle and the Saracens the year before. Exceptional teams on, exceptional um, strengths that not every team has. And, you know, it's you can't just invent that. Or, or, you know, they've signed Jason Jenkins for next year for a reason to bring that kind of size and physicality if they need him. Um, I think Leinster have grown and they would have learned a lot from that. Um, La Rochelle last year, that that bit of power... But it wasn't just that bit of power. It was some of the, some of the quality of... of um, you know, Leinster looked quite comfortable in that game in the first half. I think if they had their time back, they played a little bit differently, try and play more territory, um, move the ball um, to the wider channels a little bit more in that game. But they just got a, a, a home and away. Home advantage is massive. And, you know, La Rochelle having a home advantage and a very good side they showed last year by getting to you know, right to the top in both competitions that they were powerful sides. So will Leinster have the same issues this weekend? Well, I don't think so. I think um, the one, the, the area that probably concerns a little bit is the second row and just that sheer physicality. Um, and sometimes you get freakish teams. Toulouse are one of them. Um, you know, the players they have, the Arnold brothers, Maufu in the second row, he's 130 kilos. Um, you know, their back row is really big. Uh, Cyril Bai, all these players, they're just so powerful. And, you know, it's difficult at times to... The old mentality is try and move the big pack around and that, that just doesn't work as, um, to the same level. I think that the best way to play against a side like that is really protect the ball, hold on to it and, and try and build, build it into multi-phase. But I think Leinster are a different side and with Kelleher, Porter, Furlong, they bring an exceptional quality in their front row. You know, we know a little bit more as the competition goes on. Can somebody overpower Leinster? Um, they'll fancy their chances. They think they can because they're not the biggest side in the world, but the way they play is so effective and relentless and they're so fit and they're very physical themselves. So I don't think it's going to be a concern in the rest of this competition for, from um to Leicester and and Steve Bortwood will certainly try and make it real dogged for for, for Leinster on Saturday, but um, I think they just have too much quality now, and they will have learned from their experiences. Great to see uh, Chris Ashton getting his moment in the sun at the weekend too. Of course, you know we all we all love to see an old swan dive. <laughs> yeah, well, look, he's he's uh, when I played against him, um, you know, for for a number of years, he's been around a long time. He was. He probably irritated the opposition. Maybe still does a little bit. He does, but like in fairness, he's actually he's, a good fella off the field. And I'd say if he's on your team, he's a good fella off the field. Yeah. And, the, and the swan dive, yeah, does has annoyed people over the years. But in fairness, to him, he's he's uh, he's a good bloke, and he's uh, he's a hell of a player. And uh, yeah, he's a very dangerous player. He's still, you know, that that inside line that he tracks, um, you know, that he he runs all the time, and they'll be wary of him, I think, but. 
You know, like I said, Leinster are in great shape. Look what they did in the URC. You know, they sent a B team to South Africa. Um, you know, it's it's phenomenal against the Sharks and the Stormers to get two losing bonus points. They're now top of. Uh, they're still. They're obviously still top of URC and and can't be caught. So they're guaranteed a home quarter, home semi, home final. Um, obviously, if they win those matches. Um, some question marks and you listen to the commentary in the last couple of weeks from South African commentators and you know some stuff online that Leinster were kind of disrespecting the competition it's it's phenomenal to think that they sent you know a second string squad to South Africa against you know international yeah. World Cup winners and to get two losing bonus points and actually for you know, I listen, Leo Cullen said it was job done. Yeah. It is job done because they can't be caught now. They're guaranteed. Well, Lancaster's... Hopefully, uh, in a, hopefully in a few weeks they'll put out the second string against Munster so Munster can get into the semi-final. But look, they've done a, he's done a remarkable job again and Stuart Lancaster stayed home. That's, that's incredible, isn't it? With 16 players or 17 players to prepare for this weekend. Yeah, he said Lancaster's in the papers today. Obviously, at the press conference yesterday was uh, talking about... Um, training with the under twenties, who were part of the Ireland squad and the the frontliners, so um, they should be ready for this. Like it, it's it's a very evenly balanced European quarter final where you've got currently the form team in England versus the form team in the other major league that we're playing in, and it's an away match where Leinster are actually favourites for this game despite the fact it is a home match for Leicester and they haven't been beaten there for years. So, like, this is exactly the type of titanic European match that we're supposed to get from the European Cup. And we kind of, we've forgotten about how good a tournament the European Cup is, but it's matches like this that made us all fall in love with it. So, you know, fingers yeah. crossed, Leicester it, come out the right it, side it, of it. It sure is, yeah. And it's, um, look, it's Le- Leicester a very good side. I think Borthwick has done a brilliant job. They beat Bristol 56-26, I think, at the weekend. Um, and they're very, home underdogs in the quarterfinal. Like it's mad. Yeah, it's incredible. I think, and um, they will, um, you know, they'll be really up for this. And I think, um, but I, you know, it's hard to judge Leicester and say, well, Connacht went over and got a losing bonus point. Um, and Leicester are very powerful. Their set piece is very good, which is no surprise under Bothwick. Their scrum and line out is exceptional, and I think that's an area where they're trying to attack Leinster, but. Um, they're not the Leicester of old that, you know, Welford Road isn't uh, isn't like it used to be many, many years ago when you had so many English internationals. It's still a very, very difficult game. And I think, um, you know, it's 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 a tough challenge for Leinster, but I think they're good enough to, to come through it. OK, it should be uh, spectacular. I did want to just see if you had any update over the weekend on the coaching ticket in the backroom team. We haven't had uh, white smoke just yet, but it looks like it's trending positively for Leamy and Prendergast. Is that your yeah? Instinct? That's that's all. That's all I'm hearing. I'm still trying to uh, you know to to to, to get updates and that. Um, and I don't know exactly where it's at because I think Dennis Leamy was in South Africa um, with with Leinster for a couple of weeks. Uh, Mike Prendergast is still under under contract in Racing as well, so. Um, I don't know exactly where it's at, but I'm just hearing. And I heard Bernard Jackman saying, "I'm trying. I'm not trying to ring Prendy uh, because I don't want to tell any lies." I'm a little bit like that. We've had, we've had, we've had some conversations, but um, it's 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 still up in the air a little bit. And you know, obviously, it would be. I think it'd be brilliant if it happened. And it's kind of 
it's moving and looking like that that's the way it's going to end up maybe um I, I, again i don't know exactly the nuts and bolts of it i'm sure Leinster won't want to lose Dennis Leamy but um i would imagine that it would it would certainly interest him and um you know Munster in a place now where i think there's an opportunity to make them better and that's kind of enticing for any coach yeah. so we'll wait and see on that one um the other the other thing i know you have to go quick but um the Irish team beating Scotland on Saturday. Yeah. Incredible. I just thought, you know, lots of mistakes, lots of errors. There's still issues there around set piece, skill set, all that kind of stuff. But uh, for Enya Breen scoring that try and, and that conversion at the weekend, I think the women did fantastic. And I was just so happy for them because they didn't play well. And Greg McWilliams admitted that afterwards, but it was lovely to see, I think. So look, they, they avoided a wooden spoon and, and something to build on for the future. Meanwhile, the sevens team finished third at the same time and were really good. Like, if you could just maybe somehow find a system that worked where the best sevens players weren't playing sevens during the Six Nations, then maybe this could all work out. Maybe we're not as far away as the massive hammerings we've been taking would suggest. Well, we were still a fair bit away as regards England and France, Joe. You know, that's that's pretty obvious. Um, but I think um, they look back in the Welsh game at the start and, and the issues they had there around game management and the set piece. So um, difficult things to fix, but I think they're very still a very inexperienced group of players. So I think they learn a lot from this. And to lose seven or seven players to the sevens, another couple of injuries for that English game, that that's, that's hard on any side. Um, so, you know, they have to upskill more. They have to learn about the game more. They have to understand the game more. Um, the club game needs to improve more um, and, you know, get more players playing. So I think, look, they're, 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 he creates some depth with this. They've got a summer tour and they've just got to get better at what they do right across the board. Scrum, line out, set piece, breakdown, body positions, everything like that. But I think they've shown lots of ambition and promise. And I was just really delighted from, as everybody else was, I think, you know, to get the, the try at the end and win in that kind of fashion, it can, you can imagine the kind of confidence and the heartbreak of losing the home game, finishing, you know, with a wooden spoon, winning a game in that fashion, you can build something on that. And, I, you know, I, he didn't hide away from the fact that there's still a lot, there's, there's lots of work to be done to try and close that gap. But, I think it was just great to see them finishing on a positive on Saturday night. All right, Alan, good stuff. We leave it there for now. Thanks a million. Cheers. Cheers, lads. Thanks. It's Alan Quinn in there. A reminder, OTBM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Uh, what do you think as a Munster fan is going to happen at the weekend? It's uh, like I think their performance against Toulouse last year in the Champions Cup was actually a pretty good performance. Like I remember it being, it was Easter weekend, wasn't it? It was like a scorching day, beautiful conditions. And it was kind of at that point you're like, Toulouse could, you know, run up a big score here in these sort of conditions. And Munster did, did quite well. Obviously, it wasn't perfect and there was disappointment afterwards, but it was an absolute contest for it. Have Munster got better or have they got worse since then is the question. And you'd have to say the mood music around the, the province hadn't been positive for a while, but all of a sudden they've hit some form. The problem is Toulouse have also hit form and beating La Rochelle at the weekend was a, it was a bit of a fill-up for them. We all kind of we pay probably more attention to La Rochelle than any other top 14 team and we know that they're they're, they're pretty good. So, um, yeah, Toulouse are obviously going to be favoured for this. There's no, there's no question about it, but I think Munster are in a better place now to cause an upset than they would have been four or five weeks ago. All right. 
Uh, be sure to follow off the ball across all our social channels. Download the OTB Sports app for your latest and best sports content. We're back tomorrow from half seven with Nathan, Mark Lawrence, and Keith Wood and Rona Mullen, freshly back from the Katie Taylor fight in New York over the weekend. Now we're going to leave you with some reaction from James Skell on the hurling and Brian Kerr talking football. We're going to go to Pierce Stadium.